get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. But now you've got Ozzy up there with Freeman in scoring position, and he unloads. Jekyll or is it Hyde? Either way, this is not the kind of start the Cardinals wanted from Carlos Martinez. The Braves loving life. The offense in high gear. They lead it 5-1. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports South. That was the loss on Friday and it ended up being basically the theme of the weekend as the Cardinals dropped three out of four against the Atlanta Braves. They have lost 14 of their last 20. The one difference from Friday night to basically the rest of this stretch, the pitching's actually held up pretty well. The offense has been the issue. And with Katie Wu, who's filling in for Alex Ferrario today, I'm Brandon Kylie. That's Tanner Hendrickson. Katie, we appreciate you hopping in today. How are you doing this morning? Hey, guys. I'm well rested after that very quick Sunday day of baseball. Two games, and I'm pretty sure the Cardinals have played one game longer than their combined two yesterday. So nice. that was nice. That's beautiful, and we like seeing that. However, we would have liked the game to be Nine extended innings. a little. No, 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 no. Oh. Seven innings, totally fine. The offense. The offense is what we would have liked to have seen a little bit more of yesterday in game two. Game one, great. Game two, not so much. Katie, what in the hell is going on with the Cardinals offense right now? I think it's exactly what we kind of predicted, right? Is this kind of inconsistency and it is striking to see the contrast. And I thought Sunday was the perfect example. You know, game one, they come out swinging, you know, Arenado hits one out, out of the park. Goldschmidt's first pitch swinging, three run homer. They were using the field, spraying hits all over the place, did some situational hitting, sack flies, worked a walk with the bases loaded, exploded for nine runs and the offense looked really good. And then you switch to the night game. They have two hits total and neither left the infield. So it's very perplexing. And, uh, you know, it, it strikes me because they've shown so many times that they can have a very potent offense, but they've also shown the scarcity of it. And I think that's the concerning part is you go out there, you have a fantastic, your starting pitching's really been carrying its own weight and the offense, the offense can't score. That's what's concerning to me. I could make a case if the pitching was what was going wrong for them right now. It's like, okay, well, yeah, Jack Flaherty's out. Miles Michaelis is out. Maybe they can go make a big move. They can trade for Kyle Gibson. Maybe uh, Max Scherzer becomes available now that he's healthy. And there's ways to fix this issue. The Cardinals offense, I don't know how you fix it. 
because you have basically your everyday lineup sans Harrison Bader right now. And as much as I love Harrison Bader, he's probably not fixing what's plaguing the Cardinals right now offensively. So when I look at what they've done over the last month, and so for the month of June, they're 29th in baseball and batting average. They're last in baseball and slugging percentage. The only teams that have been less productive on the whole than the Cardinals offensively are the Cubs and the Diamondbacks, which is interesting that the Cubs are below them right now over the course of June. That's a problem that I don't think there's an easy solution for. And so what I heard Mike Schilt after the game yesterday talk about the difference between game one and game two I found his answer to be a little interesting. Uh, two homers and two doubles and ten hits. I mean, that's that was the difference. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't want to, to tell you. I mean, we had really good approach first game. I'd rather just talk about that instead, of, but we can compare if you like. Um, did a lot of things really well, a lot of good swings. It's the power. That's what's missing. Like, as much as we bring up the batting average and stuff, the thing that was going so well for the Cardinals when they were winning games early in the season we talk so much about the hard hit rates and the home run power that they were finally showing and the double, like extra bases were happening consistently. And now it's not happening hardly at all. And the big guys that you have to kind of look at for that is it was Tommy Edmond and Nolan Arenado and Tyler O'Neill had that hot streak there for a little while. And Yadier Molina was amazing with the power early on this season. And all of those guys seemingly have gone cold over the course of the last three weeks or so for this team. No, I think you nailed it. And it's striking because I know the Cardinals pride themselves on being an offense that can score in multiple ways. And they've done it before. You've seen them use some some sack bunt, some sack fly, some situational hitting. But you can't deny their power. And when we talked to Mike Schilt about what kind of stats and analytics this team emphasize, there's a lot of exit velocity. There's a lot of hard hit percentage. And the Cardinals are last in hard hit rate right now, which means their strategy overall is not working. <laughs> Now, do we think that Nolan Arenado is going to continue a, a slow June? No. You know, I don't really think anyone is really worried about Nolan Arenado. Paul Goldschmidt is having a fantastic June, so we can kind of take that. You know, he's been a notoriously slow starter, but he seems to be turning it around. I think he has four home runs in June already. But it's throughout the lineup, and this is the common theme that we see talking to these guys, is usually when offenses are slumping, it's one or two key guys that can't seem to get it together, but there's others there to carry the weight. When right now it feels like the offense overall is flat and everyone's scuffling at the same time. So that's what's really been concerning for me. You know, I, I thought after the Sunday first game when you have Arnado and, and Goldschmidt and they homered for the first time or the, only the second time all season in the same game. Maybe, you know, they start to click. Those are two guys that mean a lot, carry a lot of weight in that lineup. Maybe that carries through and then, you know, you're two hit by Drew Smiley and company. And well, it's who kind could of like, really get hits off of Drew Smiley? You know, let's be honest here. I wonder how many times I've heard best start of the season from an opposing pitcher against this Cardinals offense. And it's not, to, right, it's not to pick on these guys. Like, obviously, they have an approach and they're sticking with it. It's just where is the consistency? And I'm sure they're asking themselves the same thing. And that's the thing is when so I, I'm a big football guy. And one of the things that you'll hear from coaches in football is you, you got to find that consistency, right? Well, the stars are consistent. That's that's why they're paid star money. That's why Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt are paid the way they are is because more often than not, those guys are consistent at the plate. And right now, the problem for the Cardinals is you've got guys like Edmundo Sosa, who came on and was so good early on. And his defense is still spectacular to watch. But this month, he's not hitting anymore. Now he's batting 200 in the month of June, and that's been a bit of an issue. Yadier Molina, who got off to such an amazing start at the plate, 
batting 167 in the month of June. And so when you have all of these guys, especially towards the bottom of your lineup, not producing because they're inconsistent at the plate more often than not. And you look at the top of the lineup and Tommy Edmond, who was great to start out the season, is now batting 225 in June. It's like, okay, well, where do we catch the break? Because you've had Tyler O'Neill that's been hitting well. Paul Goldschmidt's been hitting well. But there are so many other easy outs in the Cardinals lineup right now that if I'm an opposing pitcher, well, I'm just not going to throw to those guys and I'll attack the rest of the lineup. And now you're looking back to basically what the Cardinals have been over the last five years. And it becomes that same kind of a lineup as it was previously. And that's where they find themselves right now. And I'm sure we're going to get a lot of this throughout the course of the day today. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. How about the one constant? It's Jeff Albert. Fire Jeff Albert. I thought we it's fired the him hitting last coach. Week. We didn't fire him last week? The Cardinals are not firing Jeff Albert. It's not happening. So, Katie, you are close to this team. You cover them on a day-in, day-out basis in a way that I, I'm around. I listen. All of the, You are there at the ballpark every night. Can you explain to the audience what the team's thinking is behind Jeff Albert and why they believe in this process? I think the Cardinals overall, they're very level-headed. They're not a group that is going to get overly concerned about anything, even during this stretch, which is now becoming... A narrative because it has happened for so long you know the offense I know that I wasn't here for seasons prior but it takes one look at Cardinals baseball reference and I can see okay this is a trend or Twitter either or way it works twi- or Twitter you guys like to tell me a lot on Twitter <laughs> I appreciate that but I think their mindset is we have seen this work before we have seen what this offense can do we have if you look on paper the offense should never be the problem when you look at the players in the lineup. And maybe, you know, that's a reflection on what's happening with the coaching staff. I don't know. But I think they're trusting in what they have because I know that they don't think guys like Paul Goldschmidt, Arnado, and Yachty, and DeYoung, even I know as, as up and down as he may be, will continue this streak of of being inconsistent. You know, it just happens to coincide that everything is happening at the same time. And that just makes for some really tough baseball Especially when you think about everything that they've, you know, just two weeks ago, we were lamenting over the starting pitching like, oh, offense is fine. It's the starting pitching we have to worry about. And then like we see in baseball, things change pretty quickly. So I think they're going to trust in their hitting process. They have before. I do think this is a year which after no matter what happens, they'll reevaluate. But for right now, they're going to stick with it because they have seen the results so far and they believe they can make it consistent. They just haven't figured out how to do that yet. Tanner, going into the weekend, I said that I wanted to see a two and two series against the Braves, right? That's what we kind of talked I mean, about. You do like average, yeah. <laughs> well, right now, <laughs> that's all I can ask for. They went one and three. They're one game below what we were expecting. Now, instead of splitting the series against the Tigers, you got to win both against the Tigers. Like sometimes you can make these things up, especially with the way that the schedule lays out for the Cardinals. And this is what I'll say for the offensive side of things. If the Cardinals offense doesn't get going against Detroit, Pittsburgh, Arizona, and uh, Colorado, that's when I'm going to be terrified. Right now, there there are alarm bells. And if you're reaching for the panic button, I totally get it. And I'm not going to tell you not to. But I'm going to hold off a little bit on that until we get through these next four series. They get through these and the offense is still performing the way that it is right now. There's no more excuses. And at that point, when you guys have the next conversation, Katie, with Mike Schilt about, hey, when do you have to show some urgency? That's when I think he's probably going to have to have some different answers than what he had on Friday. And I do want to get into that with Katie Wu and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll talk with Brad Osmus, the former Tigers manager, coming up in about 15 minutes or so. It's 1112. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. 
Derek Gould, Katie Wu, they had a great conversation with Mike Schilt on the post-game press conference on Friday night. We're going to play some of the best of that conversation because I think it went overlooked since it happened on Friday coming into the weekend. We'll play some of that. I want to have our reaction to it next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Manager Brad Osmus will join the show coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Alex Ferrario is in Missouri's Vegas for the next couple of days. He's out in Branson. So we've got Katie Wu joining us for the first hour of the show today. And Katie, Derek Gould, they had a fantastic back and forth with Cardinals manager Mike Schilt on Friday night. That was after Carlos Martinez's rough start when things really went in the wrong direction for the Cardinals. And I think this is going to go overlooked today because it happened on Friday and there's so much else that happened over the weekend. So I wanted to make sure we got to some of the best of that conversation and we can have Katie react to some of this. I know I have some thoughts on some of the things that Mike said. So we're going to start with one of the first questions that was asked. I think this came from Derek Gould, if I'm not mistaken. He asked basically, hey, when do you have to start showing some urgency to change some things within, whether it be your lineup or just something to make things start working? Here's what Mike Schilt had to say in response to that. We've got to be more consistent as a group, but I'm not going to go and and go full metal jacket on a group of guys that are laying it out there as best they can. You see them in there and, you know, these guys are hurting. If I saw indifference, saw lack of effort as far as the lineup goes, we, we have what we have, and it's, a, it's been plenty good. So I don't know if I'm getting uh, making sense to you about what I'm trying to articulate because I don't want to turn a blind eye to it. You win three in a row, and it's like taken for granted. And two days later, it's it's what you got to do something drastically different. And, I mean, we did. We went out and got Wade LeBlanc, who came in and threw three great innings tonight and was an incremental improvement to our group, clearly, from last night and tonight. So let's start with the back end, and then we'll kind of go through there. Wade LeBlanc was good for the Cardinals this weekend. He was legitimately an incremental improvement over what they had. He threw strikes, which in and of itself is an improvement over what the Cardinals relievers have been doing for much of the season. That being said, and I know Mike Schilt has a job to do here. He is trying to stick up for his team, which is the job that he has been tasked with. Saying that the Cardinals had won three in a row against Miami and using that as the defense for the team falls a little flat for me when the questions are about the offense and against Miami, they scored four, two and one or one run. And all the the last two of those wins were on a walk-off. So it's a little tough for me to use that as the explanation for why things are a okay with the Cardinals. However, I do see where he's coming from. I get it. That's his job. But Katie, when you heard that answer about the urgency that he feels as the manager, what did you make of that? You know, I I do think that Mike's in a tough position here. Like, as you mentioned, BK, he has to stick up for his team. You know, that's the manager's job. And he has to field questions that often aren't the easiest from the media. And he's doing so in a Zoom setting, knowing, one, that anything can be taken out of context because you're not having that face-to-face conversation. And two, anything can be ripped and put together and played as it happened in real time when it's not the case. So I understand the position he's in. But there is a sense of urgency, and we talked about this. We talked about pressing, right? We talked about 
how when teams are are skidding like the Cardinals are, there is that urgency to get right. And they're not a team that panics. Like I said before earlier in the show, they're a very level-headed group. You know, they're very confident. I think Paul DeYoung a couple days ago said, as long as I've been here, we've been a late-season run team. And I think that's, I know, again, I haven't been here, but just following the trends, it is true. So they're not, you know, panicking. But they are pressing, and them having to, not just the players, but Mike Schilt, but the front office, have to kind of weigh on when do we panic, when has this become more than just a skid, but how do we get going right now because we're not playing good baseball and we're not playing up to our expectations, and not only do we know that, so does all of our fans. And the Cardinals, I think one thing that Schilt said that really kind of resonates with me is when he's talking about the lineup, like we can all talk about the the shuffle of the board, basically. And, hey, do you move Tommy Edmond down? Do you move Carlson up? At the end of the day, you just don't have enough good hitters right now. And whether you bat Edmond eighth and Carlson first or you move Tyler O'Neill up to the two, whatever you decide to do, you need more guys producing. That's the problem. The problem in the past was not that the Cardinals didn't have the guys in the right order. The problem was the guys that were in the order. And that's kind of the issue for them right now. And as a secondary follow-up to that, the problem is that you don't want to replace most of these guys. I mean, you want Tommy Edmond in the lineup every day. Same thing for Carlson and Goldie and Arenado and O'Neill and Yachty. Okay, now we're through the top six in your order. You've got a pitcher in there. So we're talking about Edmundo Sosa and Paul DeYoung. Those are the issues? Okay, okay. What are the alternatives? And right now, the alternative for Mike Schilt is basically, let's go to Lane Thomas, who's batting like 091 on the season. And that's not a better option for him either. So he's in a tough spot right now from that perspective. He also was asked about the expectations for this team and how their previous accomplishments kind of play into that. I thought this answer was interesting as well. Like I can promise you right now, we got three of our regulars in the weight room right now. We have another two to three guys looking at video. We have pitchers reviewing video right now. We probably have four coaches right now looking at video. We have probably six conversations taking place about tonight's game. My point saying all that is people are invested. And when people are invested to the level that this group's invested in and they care to the level they care, yeah, there's gonna, and it doesn't work out. And you're not meeting your own expectations, which are high, then yeah, people may press. Now, the flip side of that is we know we can play. We know what we're capable of. In talking to players and the coaching staff, Katie, do you sense that this team is pressing a little bit right now? I do. I do because, again, it goes back to their own expectations. This is a group that believes they are not just playoff caliber but can make a deep run in the playoffs. And, again, if you look at the lineup on paper, it should be very good. You know, like you mentioned, BK, one through six, you want them every day. Those are good hitters. I know that Dylan Carlson's a rookie, but he already has that reputation of being a feared bat. He can hit from both sides. And, you know, if seven and eight are a little thin, I still think that Paul DeYoung can figure it out. He's one of the guys that has said straight up, you know. Yeah. And he said this during his post game. I thought it was really interesting. He says, I'm at the when I'm hitting you look at my swing, it's almost the exact same swing every single time. So, of course, I did what I do when I went back and I looked at all the swings. And he's right. It's not really a mechanical issue that he's dealing with. The swing looks fine. It's more of a mental thing, and that's what he said. And I think that was kind of the current theme throughout the clubhouse. It's a mental thing of, you know, I'm an athlete. I know how to play. I'm doing the things right. My approach is right. It's consistent. My swing is consistent. Where are the results? And, you know, the more you feel like you're doing things right and not getting rewarded, and this is like in regular life, too, the more frustrated you get and the more you press. And in baseball, the more you press, the worse it usually goes for you. So I thought the way that Paul broke it down, he was a smart guy, 
kind of was able to speak for for what everyone is going through offensively in the clubhouse. They are just pressing because they know they can be so much better. And maybe the offense felt like they had to take on a bigger role with the starting pitching going down earlier in the or later in May, carrying into June. Now that the starting pitching has shown up in such a dominant way, yeah. which I did not think we would be saying two weeks later. You know, maybe they also feel like, okay, well, our offense is our pitching's carrying the weight, so why can't we? It could be a multi factor of things, but I really do think that this team is pressing because they know they can be so much better at the same time. They are a late season team, so they know that, you know, they're hopeful things are going to work out. That doesn't make anything that they're going through right now any easier, of course, though. I really thought that first game yesterday was going to change things, too. And I, I think too. that's what, honestly, the, I'm not sure there's been a more disappointing or concerning in some ways game than game two of that doubleheader. And I know you had Andrew Kisner and Lane Thomas in the lineups. You were playing a couple of your non-regulars because it was the doubleheader. But coming off of what should have been a really important postponement. I mean, that that felt like a big thing for the Cardinals to be able to just get a day off to chill and get their mind and body away from the baseball field for a day. And then you go out there and you perform the way that they did in game number one and you get the offense going and Arnato and Goldie, as you mentioned, Homer in the same game. Everything felt like, OK, maybe this is the moment you get the way big start. Maybe this is what gets the team back on track. And then to get shut out and to get no hit going into what was it, the sixth or seventh inning last night? I mean, that was about as big of a letdown. You, you let the air out of the balloon, so to speak as you could possibly have. And now, so you're sitting on that for a day now going into the Tigers game. It almost feels like if you just would have flipped those two games, like had the, you're getting no hit through the first six innings against Atlanta in game one. And then Wayno gives you that performance and Arnato and Goldie get back on track in game two. Okay. Now we've got the off day. We're feeling good. We're going into Detroit. Now we can get things going. That almost would feel better. And does it change anything? No, not tangibly. But it's the order in which they happened that almost made it that much worse over the weekend. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, we talked to Wayne right after his start, and he said, I thought that unplanned day off was huge for us because it's a reset button that you weren't expecting. You get the day off and you just take a deep breath. And you didn't even get to the ballpark. They called the game pretty early, so they had a full day off. And it looked like it worked. I mean, we shouldn't really be surprised. I think Mike Schultz said, not surprised, but don't take it for granted that when the Cardinals are losing, Adam Wainwright's going to go out and put a stop to that and, you know, throw a complete game. It does count, by the way. Seven innings does count as a complete game, but not as a no-hitter. Ask me how that makes sense. Um, Tanner but... <laughs> would tell you that it does. I think it's ridiculous. It but... doesn't make whoa, sense, whoa. Tanner. It doesn't make sense. I said it should be a no-hitter. You're on You're on the no-hit train now. Yeah, but you know I hate seven-inning double-headers. <laughs> I loved it yesterday. It was fantastic. We could do If we could do that once a week moving forward to get more off days during the season, oh, I'm 100% no, here no, for it. No, Ugh, no, no. Okay. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather play six Sunday games against the same team and have Monday off like they do in the minors. No, this is great. The the one the Sunday doubleheaders get Monday off for the travel day. I'm all here for it. Wouldn't That'd be you have fantastic. Like two other innings last night though. You're down one nothing. You get six more outs. You couldn't have hit. If you can't get a hit through the first six innings, that's on Drew you. Drew Smiley's an ace. Come on. <laughs> okay. Cardinals have been going up against a lot of aces up late. Apparently, apparently so. But you know, honestly, I just feel like morale is. It's not low, but I do think if the, if the narratives of the games were, were flipped, it'd be much easier to come into the Tigers series like, hey, let's go. Let's carry this momentum. At the same time, they do have an off day today in Detroit. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure they're taking full advantage of that and resting up and, and getting ready because they are their next nine games. Ten. I don't know. I don't know how to do math. The point is their next like week and a half of games is all against teams in last place. 
you have to capitalize on that. And I think they know that. I think they're confident that they will. And, you know, fans and and people looking outside the organization can be like, well, yeah, they better win against the Tigers and the Pirates and the Diamondbacks. But a win's a win. And the Cardinals are in need of some wins right now. So maybe they'll treat today as their reset button again, just a second reset. You know, when you like plug your phone in, it doesn't really work. So you got to unplug and do it again. Maybe that's what they're doing. And you know, hopefully this off day will help them kind of right the ship. And you know, it, it's the offense, really. I mean, you look at the Tigers series, it's Oviedo, who has been fantastic, and Johnny Gann, who has been consistent. So it's all you can really ask. Consistently inconsistent in some ways. I mean, yeah, okay, the walks. I mean, his, his start in Chicago, not great. But if you look overall at his stats, yeah. you're going to get around five innings, a couple walks, run or two. But you're going to leave with a chance to win the ball game. And I think that's all you can ask. With Katie Wu of The Athletic, you should find her work over there. You can also find her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. Give her a follow there as well. Subscribe to The Athletic. They have fantastic work for you. And Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll do questions and answers. If you have a question for Katie, get those in on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Coming up next, I want to ask Brad Osmus, who was a manager for the Tigers from 2014 to 2017, What is it like to be a manager in that clubhouse when your team is struggling? And how do you get things back on track? We'll ask Brad Osmus about that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Filling in for Alex Ferrario today, I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. And right now, we are very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by the former manager of the Tigers. He was in that position from 2014 to 2017 and a three-time gold glove catcher for the Astros. He is Brad Osmus joining us here on the show. Brad, we always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. So I was curious because the Cardinals right now are going through a little bit of a struggling period. They've lost 14 of their last 20 games. And I wanted to draw from your experience as a manager, Brad, when you have a team that's going through a slump like this, is there anything in particular that you used to do that would help, whether it be keep the morale up or shake things up in the clubhouse? What what are some of the go-tos for you as a manager when you have a slump like this? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, Mike has a big help with a couple of guys in the clubhouse, certainly in Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, because these guys are battle-tested. Uh, they've been two seasons, and they they're under they're, they're very understanding of the fact that you're going to have periods where even winning baseball teams are going, going to lose baseball games. Uh, And it's often easier for players to relate that to younger players than it is for a coaching staff or a manager. Uh, That being said, there are things obviously a manager can do. One of them is shake, shake things up, shake the lineup up. Uh, They can send somebody down that's not performing and bring someone up that uh, was performing triple A and see if that uh, lights a spark. But, but generally speaking, I think, managers the good managers i've been around um and i've i've tried to use this when i've been a a manager at the major league level is is try and kind of be steady and and understand that this is a little bit of the ebb and flow uh, of baseball baseball isn't like football where you you know you go to battle once a week and uh, it's almost a must win on a, a game by game basis you are going to have losing streaks the best teams in the game are going to lose over 60 games so uh 
I think being steady and the other thing I like to preach is having no rear view mirror because you can't do anything about the last bit on the last pitch, the last play in the field, um, the last game, the last series. Uh, and that's kind of the approach you take. And then on top on a little bit more of a macro level, just win series, win the series. You're not going to win every game, win the series. And if you win every series, you're going to be in the playoffs. Brad, thanks so much for joining us today. You know, you, I thought you made a fantastic point about how Yachty and Wainwright can bring in some help to Schilt about what's going on in that clubhouse. When I'm curious in your perspective and in your career, how have you seen veterans kind of step up and what can they do to help unite the team during a stretch where it's not so good? Well, the one thing they can do is not panic. I, I don't think panic is good for anyone in a baseball clubhouse. You know, when we were in Houston, when, when I played in Houston, we had a bunch of veterans um, and we had great rivalries with the Cardinals at that time in kind of the early, mid-2000s. Um, but we had a group of guys who understood it was a 162-game season and you had to play all 162 um, to go to the playoffs. Uh, you know, that being said, there's things that general managers have to worry about, like the trade deadline, et cetera. Um, and I, I think back to 2000 and 2005 when the Astros, with that veteran group, we had Bagwell, Bizio, um, Clemens, Pettit, uh, myself. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving someone out, but we had a, a big core group of veterans that understood stood the length of the season. And we started 15 and 30, 15 games under 500, and ultimately went to the World, you know, were able to beat the Cardinals uh, in the NLCS and went to the World Series. So uh, I think those experiences, uh, and Yachty and, and Wayno have experienced that. Uh, uh, those experiences and then having the ability to relate that to younger players is a huge asset uh, for an organization. When you were 15 and 30, was there anything that was said? What what got you guys going after that? Was it just something clicked or was there actually something tangible that happened at that point? Uh, there was nothing tangible. The only thing that tangible I remember was that the Houston Chronicle put a tombstone on, the, I think it was the front of the sports page, saying that our season was over. Um and people like to look back to that in Houston as, as kind of a turning point. But truthfully, I think it's kind of just water finding its level. We had a bunch of good players that were underperforming, and it had to come together at some point. We're talking to Brad Osmus, manager from the uh, Tigers from 2014 to 2017. When you have a situation like this, Brad, and the Cardinals, like I said, have lost 14 of their last 20 does it help inside of that clubhouse, whether it be from the player's perspective or the manager's perspective? And I know you have both of those that like for the Cardinals, the rest of the National League Central has not performed particularly well in this stretch either. There's still four games out. It's not like the Brewers or the Cubs are running away from from them in the division. Does that help kind of quell some of the concerns within that clubhouse that you're still in this thing, even though you haven't played well? Yeah, you, I mean, if you're looking at the standings, you know, hey, four games over the, uh, over more than half a season ago, uh, it certainly is far from un, uh, undoable. So, uh, you know, that that does make it easier when the teams around you are losing. I do think that division, it's lining up to be a bit of a dogfight, uh, the way things are going right now. I think there'll be some separations as we get deeper into the season. Uh, but, yeah, certainly, uh, you know, it's a lot easier to be to look at – when you're struggling or slumping and be four games out, then to look and be 11 games out. Brad, you know, I, 
was thinking, and I wanted to hear your perspective as a former manager, when you notice some of your key players, especially offensively, slumping and, and then starting to press because of that, what are some things that can help right the ship in that regard? And, and you know, it's, it's hitting is mental enough. So when you're adding on to that, it sometimes can make things worse. What have you seen that's been successful in your career on, on how to kind of fix that? You know, the, you know, obviously you can get in the cage. You can do early batting practice. There's all types of things you can do. And I, for me, the one thing I have done, I've done a couple of times, we did it with Justin Upton in Detroit when he was struggling after he, uh, he signed there uh, early on in the season is, you know what? You just say, hey, I'm going to sit you down for three days. I'm going to do everything in my power to not let you sniff the field. I don't care if you take batting practice. I don't care if you hit in the cage. That's your call if you want to work on something with the, bat- the hitting coaches. Uh, do it, but you do not have to do it. I really just want you to take a, a step back, take a deep breath, understand that you've always hit. This is just a bad stretch. Clear your mind. Um, and then hopefully that person, that player comes back uh, kind of refreshed. Um, in the case of Upton, that seemed to help. Um, to me, sometimes taking a step back is, uh, is the way to go. And in a game that is extremely mental. Brad Osmus is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Brad, we, we hear a lot of questions from Cardinals fans about the post-game answers that we're hearing right now from Mike Schilt. And sometimes there are questions about him kind of basically sticking up for his team in a way that Cardinals fans don't like, right? Because they're feeling the bad part of the losing. They want Mike Schiltz to go in there and be angry. When you're going into a post-game press conference as a manager – how much of that is you talking to the media versus you talking to your team through the media? Uh, it's a little bit of both. I, I, you know, there are a portion of the players that don't really uh, care what is written or said about them. They don't pay attention to it, but there's a big chunk that do, especially now with social media and Twitter. You know, they, a lot of times they just get blurbs, but the, they may get blurbs from Mike Hill. And uh, so you, uh, there's no, there's really no chance that Mike uh, is going to, or should blast his players in a public manner. Now, if, if the Cardinals are playing sloppy, if they're having terrible at-bats and it's not just a slump, then that has to be dealt with. And sometimes that's dealt with whether it's one-on-one with that particular player or whether it's something, you know, if it's, if it's a, a group problem like bad base running, bad decisions, then maybe that has to be dealt with on a uh, more of a team level. But blasting players in the paper, uh, that, that's just not going to help especially when you play 162 games and you're with these people for for six months. Last question on this that I've got for you before I want to ask a question about those early 2000s Cardinals-Astros games. How does a manager approach the deadline? Do do you have conversations inside of the clubhouse? Because the Cardinals, it would appear, they're not going to be a seller, so it's not going to be those kinds of questions. But as a potential buyer, are you having conversations within that clubhouse at that time? Uh, as a player or as a manager? As a manager, and then I guess as you've got the player side of things, too, and you certainly had some teams with the Astros that looked at potentially making big-time additions at the deadline. So I guess from both perspectives, what's the deadline like for you? Well, as a player, you're really, if you're in the hunt, you're just kind of hopeful that you can do something. Um, as a manager, it's a little different story because now you're dealing with the general manager. You're dealing with budgetary constraints. You're dealing with the uh, um, uh, service time constraints, um, injuries, you know, potential guys of guys that are coming back. Um, you know, how much are you, are you willing to deplete any of your minor league system to acquire big league talent? There's a, there's a lot more questions involved, uh, 
uh, for the general manager. And then obviously that trickles down to the manager, but as a whole, the people in the clubhouse, the people with their, the, the uniforms on, they want help. They want to win and they want, they want to be, uh, be as good as possible and, and better if that trade will make them better. Last question for you. We're talking to Brad Osmus here on 101 ESPN. Uh, I do a show with Danny Mack, uh, the Cardinals broadcaster from 10 to 11, and he told me I could not let you off the phone today without asking you your perspective on Jim Edmonds' big catch in Game 7 of the 2004 NLCS. Can you take us through what that moment was like from your perspective? Because, of course, it's remembered here in St. Louis as a monumental moment. What was that like for you? Jimmy stole my spotlight, I think. I think that was going to be my that was going to be my big playoff moment right there. I was going to get hit the bases clearing triple and put us up early. So, it was a great play. You know, he's he's always been a tremendous defender. Um uh, I was a little shocked he caught it. He re- they really could have doubled up the guy. I, you know, he, 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 it's hard for him to tell cuz he's diving to make a catch, but they could have made a double play out of it. Um, but yeah, he, he kind of stole my, my spotlight. I, I'm kind of pissed at him. I'm a little angry with him. Is that the toughest, uh, toughest beat you've had as a hitter? Or is there another one that comes to mind in front of that? Um, well, I mean, that's probably the toughest on the biggest stage. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Brad, we appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. All the best to you. And we'll talk with you again soon. All right, I appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Brad Osmus, manager of the Tigers from 2014 to 2017, a three-time gold glove catcher for the Astros, and, of course, was on the other end of the fantastic Jim Edmonds catch back in the 2004 NLCS. It's interesting to hear from him about how the Cardinals could maybe get some of these guys back on track, especially with him saying he, he basically sat Justin Upton down for three days. I think the tough part is the guy that immediately comes to mind is, hey, he could use a little bit of time right now is Paul DeYoung, but he just had that reset time. So do you go back to that same well again of sitting him down? Obviously, this time it's different. That was for the injury. This would be to just kind of mentally reset. Does that work for him? Could that work for maybe Tommy Edmond? But if you're sitting Tommy Edmond, now you're having Lane Thomas play every day. It's it's a tough spot. It might get a little easier for them when Harrison Bader returns. No, here's the problem is if you decide to sit one of these core players, it's not like there's a deep bench that can come in and fill the spot. You need these players in every day. And, you know, DeYoung is struggling a little bit. And what's, I think, the most remarkable thing is he was in a pretty good spot before the injury. You know, he'd... You slumped early in the year, got his timing back, got his feel back, and was hitting the ball pretty well in May, and now it's kind of started over. So while DeYoung maybe could use a couple days, who, what can they do there, right? Can you put Soset short and Carpet second? A couple days, sure, but I think we're underestimating the presence DeYoung brings to the team overall, and I don't think they necessarily want to sit him, especially because they just got him back. So really interesting. I liked what Brad had to say about, you know, when you decide to air out your team and when not, he, he says exactly what Mike Schultz has yep. said. They're not playing sloppy baseball. Their approach is consistent. They're, you know, the bullpen has actually been very good, pretty sound defensively. Starting pitching's been good. They just haven't had the results. So it's not like this is a team with lackluster effort or anything. They're just kind of scuffling along. It's so weird. This team, like, this is a weird thing to say about a team. It's been boring the way they've lost. It's not like they have these weird moments where they're kicking the ball all around or they've got like the horrible strikeout rate where they're striking out 40% of the time or whatever. It's just kind of been ho-hum. Right. They're, they're pitching okay. Their offense, while you look at the bottom line numbers and it's like, wow, that's that's really bad. They rank in the bottom five of basically every offensive category over the last month. 
when you're watching in the moment, you're like, okay, so we've got Tommy Edmond coming up. I feel okay about this. Dylan Carlson, Goldie, Arnato, O'Neill. It's like, okay, I think there's maybe a possibility here that things kind of get turned around. And it just doesn't seem to happen. And right. there's the weak ground outs. It's weird watching this team right now. As much as the bottom line numbers look terrible, the actual in-game effort is there. there. And so I think that's why Mike Schilt, when you hear him in the post-game press conferences, he's not airing out all of the dirty laundry because it's really difficult to call guys out for just not executing. Right, exactly. giving the effort. It's just the execution's not there yet. And that's why I, frankly, have a little bit of a, a belief that it's going to turn around especially in the stretch against Detroit, Pittsburgh, Arizona, and Colorado. Yep. With Katie Wu and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, I do wonder what this recent stretch means for the Cardinals' trade deadline plans. We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour. Coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you have any questions for Katie Wu, get them in on the text line now. We'll get into some of those next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. Katie Wu is joining us in studio for the next 10 minutes or so. She's filling in today for Alex Ferrario. He'll be back on Wednesday. If you have any questions for her, get them in right now on the air comfort service text line. Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, Carlos Martinez, if he has a few good starts before the deadline, do you think that the Cardinals would consider trading him before the trade deadline? Carlos has a few good starts. Do you think the Cardinals would consider trading him, Katie? I can certainly see why someone could make the argument. However, I think we have to factor in that the Cardinals don't exactly have a a good assortment of starting pitching right now. So I think starting pitching is really coveted right now after this, the shortened 2020 season and injuries up. I think they hang on to Martinez. I think they're confident in his ability as a starter, mainly because it's not like they have anybody really else that can come up and fill his place. Triple A is, is pretty thin too. So I don't know. I don't think so. Carlos has been very good at times. He's been quite tremendous at times, and he's also been quite bad. So I'm not quite sure if teams would bite on that just based on the inconsistency. He has, you know, he's had some really, really solid outings, and in the beginning of the year, he was quite consistent. As of late, it's been hard for him to find that same kind of groove. But no, I don't think the Cardinals would consider trading him unless another starting pitcher becomes available. Yeah, I I don't know if you trade him. The inconsistency would be hard for a team to bite on that, as you mentioned, Katie. And also, I mean, as you mentioned, too, you you don't have the depth. If if another injury occurs, let's say you get Flaherty back and then he gets hurt. And and Michaelis, I mean, we don't know what we're going to get from Michaelis. And then let's add another one. Let's say KK's back uh, bothers him again. I mean, the depth of this pitching now is something we're talking about adding to. So subtracting from it, to me, just wouldn't make much sense. Yeah, I just don't see them doing it now. I think this would be an off-season trade. If If they decide to do it, I don't know that they will for sure pick up his option or not. I think at the beginning of the year, it felt more likely than it does now. If they were going to do something like this, they would pick up his option and then trade him in the offseason for a lower level prospect to kind of fill in that middle tier prospects that they're missing right now that they Mm -hmm. could really use going into this trade deadline. But no, I do not think that's going to be something that they look to do at the deadline from the 618 guys as good as Wayno has been this year. Do you think that the Cardinals would consider re-signing him for 2022? I think as long as Adam Wainwright wants to pitch, it's as long as he's going to go. You know, you look to what the projected rotation is in 2022, and you have Flaherty, you have Michaelis, Alex Reyes is going to be in there. You got Hudson coming back. You 
can Labor never tour, have maybe 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 right you have all these options you don't know who they're going to get in the offseason but the firm belief of, of mine and throughout baseball is you can never have too much starting pitching and with the way that Wainwright has been absolutely shoving this year I don't know if they can say no I mean he's the face of the franchise I think if, if Wainwright wants, wants to pitch he'll be back I think it's you know again you can never have too much starting pitching so that's all I'm going to say there yeah I to me, you got to bring him back, not, not just because he pitched well, but also that veteran presence that he brings to the locker room. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine where this team would be if you didn't have Wayno now. I mean, we no say thanks. that a lot. We say that a lot no with thanks. Yachty. I, I think it's even more so for Adam Wainwright. He's you, thrown 86 innings this year. The next closest on the team is Carlos at 68. He's I mean, been, it's not even close. He's been your best pitcher. Take away Jack Flaherty before he got hurt. He's been your best pitcher. So to me, you have to bring him back. And again, it's not going to cost you. It's not going to be this king's ransom to bring back Wayno. I, I believe Wayno would come back even for a uh, team-friendly deal. So to me, you have to try and bring back Wayne. Yeah, I don't think you can count on Michaelis or Hudson at 100% next year. I'm, I'm learning the lesson from Michaelis this year that we should learn for next year with Hudson. Um, does Is he going to come back? I hope so, but I can't put full faith and hope. We right. did that this year in Michaelis, and it came back to bite them. So next year, going into the season, having a little bit of insurance there, and even if that means starting the year out in AAA for Liberator, that's fine. Right. I would rather have somebody down in AAA ready to go that is banging at the door of getting up to the big leagues as opposed to what you're seeing right now where it's like, okay, Johan Oviedo, who probably should be in AAA, is going to be our fifth starter. I think that's something that, by the way, we didn't even mention him. That's a, more depth that they could have. So I think it makes a lot of sense for them to bring him back. All right, final one here for Katie. Katie, you're Mo. You get to the trade deadline. You need one hitter and one starter. Are there any names in particular that you would want to see the Cardinals go after? Good question. Um, I think we'll, we'll start with starting pitching because I do think, you know, maybe the Cardinals could use a bench bat, but I also think they have that in Matt Carpenter if they need it. Um, I think Kyle Gibson, he's a clubhouse guy having a career year. You know, we know what the Cardinals clubhouse looks like, the morale, the the types of guys that fit in there. I think Kyle Gibson can really bring that in. Um, He might cost a little bit more than what the Cardinals are willing to give. But I think that's just the state of when you are trading for starting pitching in a deadline this year. Uh, But that's that's the name I'm targeting. I think Kyle Gibson's a very I don't think he's under the radar now because he's been pitching so well. And the more we talk about trades, the more his name comes up. But that's the one I'm looking at. I'm looking at, you know, maybe we can get him for a if I'm Mo, you know, just pretend maybe we can get him for a, a deal that isn't as striking to the farm system because, you know, the Cardinals front office has said before how much they want to keep that intact and they're pushing for the future, too. When it comes for hitting, you know, I don't know what could really benefit the team the most. Probably a fourth outfield bench bat, uh, you know, maybe on the right-hand side since they have the left-handed side in Carpenter. No one's really coming to mind yet, but I'm sure middle of July, there'll be like all of a sudden someone's playing out of their mind on a team that's not winning very much, and that'll be like the obvious answer. But right now, you know, I think the, the primary focus is on starting pitching, and I think Kyle Gibson's a great guy to target. Kyle Gibson's your guy, BK. He played the breaking news sounder when you returned from a start <laughs> yeah. in hey, Texas. Hey, by the way, he pitches oh. tonight. Big time uh, start for him. The Cardinals are off. They're on ESPN+. Plus. If you want to check out Kyle Gibson, you can watch him tonight in action against the Oakland A's. A good lineup, so you get to good see lineup. what he looks like testing-wise. Future Cardinal, you going to say it? Watch your future Cardinal tonight? I, I think he's... I think he might cost too much. We'll talk about <laughs> the John Mosellock comments from the weekend. They kind of scared me off a little bit from saying that there's like a 95% chance that 
Um, we're going to see Kyle Gibson in a Cardinals uniform, but he's a Mizzou guy. You know, that means that I'm going to love him and he's pitching. This is by far the best year of his career when it comes to what he's done results wise. So I love that one. Yeah. Gibson's a guy I would look at also in the reports we heard from the weekend from Derek Gould. Uh, it sounds like they've been talking with the twins. Jose Barrios might be a guy to keep an eye on. I think that asking price would be too high for the Cardinals in terms of the one position player. I, I, I think I'm with you. I would go for a right-handed bat off the bench. Mitch Hanniger would be the one that st- mm-hmm. uh, pops into my head. Also, maybe a Trey Mancini. I know Stoltz has acquired him a couple months ago, yeah. so maybe he's a guy to keep an eye on. Too. Josh Harrison is a number, another one that I would look at. Uh, he can play all over. Is he great? No, but he helps you. Um, and he's super cheap, and that's the other thing that I think helps the Cardinals. He's a rental. He's on the last year of his deal with the Nationals, but yep. that would also require them to kind of fall out of the race. So we'll, we'll see what happens with that, but he makes a little bit of sense for the Cardinals. Somebody like that. Or they could come in, help you off of the bench, because right now the right-handed options off of the bench are pretty rough. Or Albert Pujols, if he becomes available, could oh, also be an go. interesting Don't do one. this to me. <laughs> With Katie Wu and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Katie's going to get out of here. Katie, we always appreciate you hopping in for the 11 o'clock hour. It is a blast to have you in with us. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course, guys. Thanks so much, and thanks for listening. Absolutely. People should subscribe to The Athletic. Check out your work over there. You can follow Katie on Twitter as well, at Katie J. Wu. Coming up in the one o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by Jamie Rivers in studio. Coming up next, though, has the Cardinals recent performance muddied the waters when it comes to what their trade deadline needs are? We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. The two one pitch and a fly ball. Right center, Carlson has it. Wayno, seven innings against his former team, the team that drafted him. The Atlanta Braves today in a game that the Cardinals needed 9-1. He gives him seven. That's what it sounded like yesterday as the Cardinals get a complete game out of Adam Wainwright. And let's be honest, as much as the Cardinals have been struggling this month, the rotation has kind of done its job. If you look at just the ERA leaders rotation-wise for the month of June, the Cardinals aren't as low as you would expect. And the other thing that they have done pretty well is that they've been getting big-time pitching over the last eight or so games. They've had five quality starts in that stretch. The only faults were a five-inning, three-earned run start out of Gant. That's not terrible. A four-inning, one-earned run start out of Kim yesterday. That'll play, given it was a seven-inning game. And then, of course, there was that one blow-up game out of Carlos Martinez. I wanted to ask you, Tanner, and with Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario. Have we seen the Cardinals' needs change now going into the deadline? Because we are about six weeks away from the trade deadline and a week ago, two weeks ago maybe, exclusively. The only thing we were really talking about was, does this team need to add starting pitching? Does this team have enough pitching to be able to get through this stretch without Jack Flaherty? They've done pretty well at that. The problem is now they're not scoring any runs. So as your needs and your opinion changed from the pitching to now the hitting side of things based on what we've seen over the last two, three weeks. No, I still think you need another starter. I, I think what we've seen from the rotation this year is we've seen those. Uh, it's been like the roller coaster. We see the ups and then we see the lows. And now we're back up to that up. And at some point, we're probably going to get back to the low. To me, you still need to go get a high end, a a number two starter. And if that's if you can't get that because of the asking price, and the, as Mo have said, we want to keep the farm system intact, then 
you have to look to me at a number three at least. Get someone that can cover some innings for you that can be more consistent because I look at Carlos Martinez, and I you can't put him in the bullpen now, and I don't know if you'd want to, but to me you have to look at a way to possibly move him out of the rotation. His inconsistency has been a flaw. He's had blow-up innings. He's had blow-up starts. I, and again, I'm not saying you DFA Martinez because that's not reasonable, but you can't have him doing this. That start against Atlanta, that you can't have that, especially when your offense has been struggling. I still think you need a starter. I still want to see them go get a reliever and then still get a bench bat. I mean, there's three things for me that have not changed. I think that, th- so I, I do not feel like they need a reliever. I feel pretty good about their bullpen right now, and I'm going to feel even better about it if they're able to go out and get another starter. I think the thing that has changed for me a bit is the urgency with which they need to go find a starter. I think they've been proven correct. I thought going into this stretch after Jack Flaherty got hurt, they needed to add one immediately. And their pitching has held up in a way that they were right. They didn't need to add one immediately. And now you're going up against Detroit, Pittsburgh, Arizona, Colorado. Those offenses are not imposing. So if you do feel the need coming out of these to add a starting pitcher immediately, well, that tells me a lot about how poorly your team played over the course of these next 13, 14 games. But what I... What I will say is I think they still need that guy because once you get into a series against San Francisco and Chicago going into and out of the all-star break, that's where I I don't have a whole lot of confidence in what the Cardinals are doing right now with their rotation. The best teams have shown that they can expose this rotation. And when you're not hitting the way that they aren't right now, that's going to be a problem because if you give up five earned runs, I have no faith that the Cardinals are going to be able to match that in terms of what they're doing offensively. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Once you get into these series with these better teams, then this rotation is clearly shown that it has the flaw of we can't really beat the 500 or better teams. I, I look at it and I say this rotation, the way it is right now, they have proven they have proven that they can at least uh, keep the Cardinals afloat heading up to the trade deadline. Because I was with you, once once that injury occurred to Flaherty, and we saw that about week week and a half stretch, where we saw the starting pitching really struggle, where you went, I believe it was 2-8 and eight in a 10-game stretch with both wins coming from Adam Wainwright's starts, then that showed me that this rotation wasn't going to be able to handle it. They've stepped up to the challenge. Now, I'm with you. To me, this rotation you can't have heading into those big-time series or really heading into a postseason. You're going to have to go get a guy that you can really rely on. Because... I look at the rotation, I say, KK, I don't have a lot of faith in him. He, he was okay again last night. Um, Martinez, the same way. He, he's he been inconsistent. So there's a lot of inconsistencies. John Gantz, the same way. Oviedo's been the same way. So that's four guys that we've seen the ceiling. We've seen that they have some good stuff, but they've never been able to get it together in a stretch of, let's say, five starts. And to me, that's a problem. And that's why adding a starter, not as big as it deal as it was earlier, is still going to be something you have to address come the trade deadline. So Alex and I really struggled at the home run derby, right? You, you heard a little bit about this. We, we didn't hit a home run. I heard it's because you guys were facing Wayno and his Uncle Charlie. So the thing about a situation like that is we looked really bad in particular because our competition, all of them play softball. Like all of the Rizzuto show guys other than Riz play softball regularly. Brad Thompson was a professional athlete. Anthony Stalter goes out regularly every single week. First of all, he played in college. And then now he consistently plays softball every single week. So not only did we look bad, we were made to look even worse because our competition was pretty darn good, right? If we went out there with other guys, maybe like you, Tanner, that were of similar caliber to us, maybe it wouldn't have looked quite as bad. And then all of us end up hitting zero, one, maybe two home runs over the course of the day, right? I think the Cardinals are in a similar situation right now. 
The Cardinals are not going up against the Brad Thompson's and the Anthony Stalters in this division. And so one thing that I do think will impact what they do both at the deadline and how we view this team right now is the fact that the Brewers are not playing particularly well right now either. If you look at what they've done over their last seven games, they've lost five of them. If you look at what the Cubs have done over their last seven or so games as well, they've lost five of them as well. The Cubs actually have the worst offense in baseball this month. The Brewers have not been great offensively either. The Cardinals, despite the fact that they have lost 16 of their last 20 games, excuse me, 14 of their last 20 games, they're only four games out of first place in this this division, and their schedule opens up in a way that's even more advantageous than what we saw over the last week or so with Detroit, Pittsburgh, Arizona, Colorado coming up. The Cardinals' future is going to be determined by their division's play as much as it is their own. And the fact that they the rest of the division has not run away with this thing over the last three weeks is huge for John Mosellock and the Cardinals. It allows them to just stay in this race a little longer while they get healthy, while their lineup tries to get things back on track. And hopefully over the next two weeks, if they're able to do so, after this stretch, it's entirely possible that the Cardinals find themselves at or near first place because of the way that the rest of the division failed to take advantage of this time. Yeah, and you look at it, and it, it there's no pressure because as much pressure as, as we put on the Cardinals and we say, well, you got to go make that move, if no one runs away from you in the division, well, that's it's the number one thing you're going to have to win. There's no wild card coming out of the NL Central. There's no wild card coming out of the NL East. Those two are going to come from the NL West. So the NL Central is where it's going to have to be. And if no one's going to run away with it, then you can sit back, assess where you are come trade deadline, because it's going to come down to which team's going to be aggressive. The Cubs, we don't know what they're going to do. They're still a big enigma heading into the trade deadline. The Brewers, I'm not sure they're going to do much. They may add a starter if they can. But the fact that you have the easy stretch of schedule allows you to get back into this because the Cubs, Brewers, and I'll throw the Reds into this category too because they're ahead of you in the standings aren't playing well. And now if the Cubs were playing well and they had won seven in a row and they start to open up this gap, then that's when things become a major of, okay, red alarms are going off. If we want to make the playoffs, we got to go do something. But this doesn't allow, this allows you not to overpay and do something right now. You can assess, wait till you get to the trade deadline. It's kind of as weird as it's going to sound for me to say this. It's kind of the perfect thing for the Cardinals sure you're not playing well but it comes when the rest of the division isn't playing well and it's at a time where if the rest of the division was playing well and you had to go make a move you're in a very tough spot because your hands are kind of tied not a lot of teams know if they're out of it yet not a lot of teams want to move on from things so the fact of the matter that the central is playing poorly it plays to plays heavily into the Cardinals favor six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service tax line from the three one four guys imagine where the Cardinals would be if they hadn't played Miami and Pittsburgh they're nine and oh against those teams it's not just those two teams it's Miami Pittsburgh Colorado Arizona and Arizona I think if I'm not mistaken I think they're 17 and one against those teams combined and that's why I think that you should have a little bit of excitement about where the Cardinals are right now the next big stretch of games these next four series are against teams similar to that and literally that You've got Detroit, Pittsburgh, Arizona, Colorado. Those are the teams that the Cardinals have beat up on for the vast majority of the season. That does not mean if they go, if they lose two or three games in this stretch, it doesn't mean they're world beaters suddenly, but it means that they took care of business. And that's all that they have to do. They're, they're literally trying to buy time right now. They're buying time to get to the all-star break. And then from there, reassessing where the team is at. 
And once you get through that period of time, and if the team's healthy, then you get Harrison Bader back and you're getting closer and closer to Jack Flaherty being back on the mound for you. Now, maybe suddenly you're thinking about, okay, it is worth it for us to go out there and acquire Kyle Gibson or Max Scherzer or whoever the outfielder of the day is at that point. That's what the Cardinals need. They need the benefit of time. And if they're able to buy it by beating up on these bad teams, well, so be it. That's all you got to do. Those are the those are the teams that are on your schedule. And we talk about taking advantage of this stretch because you got two in Detroit and then four home against Pittsburgh, three home against Arizona, then four in Colorado. To me, the one to look at will be these first three series because in Colorado, anything can happen. With the high altitude, you got to take care of business. I I know you got to take care of business. That's the series where the offense will have to step up because. Look, pitching in Colorado is impossible. So that's where I look at it and I say, if you split with Colorado, you'd like to take three or four, but I understand the offense will dictate whether or not you win that Colorado series. But yeah, I'm with you. You got to take advantage of this stretch. Yeah, you you got to win all of these series. You got to win three out of four against Colorado. That should be something that you're able to do. You got to, I, I think you got to be able to sweep the Tigers in this two game set, three out of four against Pittsburgh, two out of three against Arizona. That should be where the expectations are for the Cardinals. And if you fall a little bit short in one of those series, it is what it is. But that should be where the expectations are going into things. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of in or out. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line to get involved in that. Coming up next, though, there is one gap between the Cardinals in terms of the clubhouse and the front office and their fan base that I think is the biggest gap that you could possibly see. I'll explain what I mean by that coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Hey, join the 101 ESPN Bomberito Street fleet this Friday from 6 to 8 o'clock at Hooters in St. Peter's for the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge. It's free to play. It's an indoor golf game where you can score prizes in Michelob Ultra swag. Plus, it'll be your chance. How about this, Tanner? To win a trip for two to this year's Ryder Cup. Don't miss out. This is this Friday night from 6 to 8 o'clock with 101 ESPN at the Hooters in St. Peter's. Get all of the details on the Michelob Ultra Putter Challenge at 101ESPN.com. Again, that's Friday night from 6 to 8 o'clock at Hooters in St. Peter's. Friday 6 to 8. Got it. Are we allowed to compete? Uh, From what I understand, I will be competing not once, not twice, not three times, but continuing on throughout the rest of the evening until I'm able to win these tickets. Wow. You know, I think you could handle that. I mean, putting? Is it putting? I could get a putter. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, I'm in on this. Now, swinging a baseball bat, totally different story. Swinging a putter? I think you could do that. It's just a smooth little back, forward, make contact. Speaking of disconnects, uh, there is one between the Cardinals and their fan base right now. And I think it was on full display on Mike Schilt's press conference on Friday night. So Mike Schilt was asked a number of different things. I thought it was a great back and forth. If you haven't heard the full thing, check it out. It's available on YouTube, Twitter, all those different things. He talked about the urgency that the team is feeling right now, how they're pressing right now at the plate. He also said something that I found very interesting about the credit that this team deserves, not for what they've done this year, but what they accomplished a year ago and what they accomplished really over the last couple of seasons under Schilt. Listen to this, and I think that you'll understand what I'm saying when I say there's a disconnect between the team and its fan base right now. I don't feel I got credit for last year. 
because I feel like I'm always having to defend this group. Okay, and I will, and I won't defend anything blindly because I'm a I'm a I'm a truly transparent guy, and I'm a truth teller. This group last year went through the most amazing obstacles you may ever see in sports, and came it through with flying colors, and made the playoffs, and it was a whole hum like yeah okay. That's the same group that's in this clubhouse now. If you listen to that, he's basically saying the Cardinals deserve credit for what they accomplished last year. And they do. I actually agree with him. Making the playoffs, given what they did, given what they went through, was a hell of an accomplishment. But then we also have to take into account what happened when they got there. And we also have to take into account that they wouldn't have made it to the playoffs if not for the expanded postseason. That was a one-off. Then you look back to 2019, and I know in the past this has been a point of contention for Cardinals fans as well. They go to the playoffs, they end up beating the Braves in that miraculous NLDS, and then they get swept in the NLCS. So yes, did they make it to the NLCS? Do they deserve credit for doing so? 100%. But the offense went silent, and then they got swept from the Nationals in the NLCS, so they also deserve criticism for that. And prior to those two seasons, they missed the playoffs three straight years. And so I do think there's a bit of a disconnect right now between the Cardinals, the front office, and the manager clearly, and I think in the clubhouse as well, and where the fan base is coming from. And I I think there's some truth to what Schilt is saying. They deserve credit for what they have accomplished. There's no doubt in my mind I agree with him there. There's also some truth to what fans are saying, where this team has been frustrating over the last five years now. They missed the playoffs three straight seasons for the first time in basically 20 years. And then the one real run that this team has been on was 2019, and it ended with one of the most futile performances in an individual postseason series in the history of baseball. So, yeah, there are some frustrations that are left over from there, and there is a hangover effect. There's a carryover that when we see the offense going into a little bit of a dry spell the way they have the last three weeks, that is immediately the thing that flashes in Cardinals fans' minds of, yeah, we've seen this before. And what you're watching right now very well could portend another playoff failure. And I think that's where Cardinals fans are coming from on this subject. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that is where Cardinals fans are coming from. And and before this season, what was the big thing? It was, well, the offense, the offense. We have the pitching. Let's get the offense. We need that big acquisition. And they did it in Nolan Arenado this offseason. And then when the tables turned there for a while on pitching, it immediately flips to we got to go get a starter. We have Carlos Martinez there. It just feels like the Cardinals have never been able to get that perfect balance. Of we've got the right pieces offensively, and we've got the pitching. And I'm with you. I'm kind of on the... I don't know, this may be unpopular opinion, but I understand what Mike Schultz is saying of t- getting credit for 2020. They deserve credit the way they battled through. But as you mentioned, expanded playoffs, I'm kind of one of those where it's, okay, it happened. We gave you credit a little bit in the off season. We're now into 2021. I don't want to hear about 2020. I want to hear about the here and now. I want to, I, I, I'm not saying I want to hear Schilt explain what the issues are because we know what the issues are. The offense isn't performing well, but I, I don't want to sp- throw back to 2020 and this is the same group i want to i want to see more results on the field and i don't want to talk about last year's team that that's just me six five seven the air comfort service text line from the six one eight guys the cardinals were the five seed last year so they might have made it to the wild card last year as well well they also didn't play the full season they would have had to play at least another two games and if they lost either of those two games they would have fallen behind uh the reds potentially or at least had to play in a play-in game so I should clarify there. It's not that they for sure would have missed the playoffs, but it would have been very possible, maybe even likely that they ended up missing the playoffs in a regular season. So now that we've clarified that, um, 
the Cardinals are in a situation right now where their fans are frustrated because of the lack of success in their mind. And this is what comes with managing the Cardinals. It's one of the frustrations that Mike Matheny had about his time here in St. Louis is he's like, hey, I never really felt like I got the credit that I deserved for the accomplishments that we had. This fan base is starved for winning. And if you win one year and then you come back the next year and you struggle, it's much like Boston in this respect. Well, then, yeah, the fans are going to criticize you. That's part of getting out there and having 40,000 fans in the stands every night. A byproduct of that, a byproduct of the fans being as engaged as they are here in St. Louis is you get all of the credit when it's good. That's 100% true. You also get a lot of the blame when things are not good. And it's hard to play here. It's hard to manage here. It's hard to coach here because of those things. It's also incredibly rewarding to play here when things are going well. And so if you're going to be able to live with the good, you also have to take the bad. And I think over the last month, two months, it seems to me, and I'm kind of doing the body language expert here, and so maybe I'm off, but it seems like Schilt has been frustrated by the fact that they're not getting the credit for, for example, the series against the Marlins, and then you get into the series against the Braves, and people are asking the questions about the offense again. That's how it works here, man. That's how it works. Even if you win three in a row, if you've lost 12 out of your last 15, which is basically where they were at that point, well, then, yeah, you're going to get the criticism. That's what comes with it, especially when the offense, even in those three wins, did not perform particularly yeah, well. Two great points there. I, the Miami one, I'll start with. The, a lot of markets, you take, you sweep the Miami Marlins, no matter if it was three one nothing wins. If if you're, let's, let me flip this. Let's say this this was the Miami market and you sweep the Cardinals and two teams that are struggling, you sweep the Cardinals and it's just one nothing games. They look at that as a success. Here in St. Louis, we we nitpick everything. We talk about the 26th man on the roster mm-hmm. and how it's important. And then when we get to the 28th guy in September, we'll talk about his importance to the team. We break down every little thing. So, yeah, there's the pressure of that. And then you brought up, you know, St. Louis is used to winning. I, I fall trapped to that. I, I grew up a Cardinals fan. 2006 was probably the first time I really started getting into baseball when I was six years old. They won a World Series. So you're always looking to take that next step. So I think where the big chunk of disappointment comes was that 2019 team got to the NLCS. Now, sure, they got swept, and it was really a bad offensive performance, but you expected that team to take that next step, as you mentioned. See, I don't think people did. I think people were stunned that they made it there. I, think, I, I, I view that compl- – I think that the worst thing that happened to the Cardinals in the last five years and a lot of fans' minds is making it to that NLCS because it totally changed agree. expectations, and it put things where they probably shouldn't have been. That team – accomplished a lot and frankly Mike Schilt deserves a lot of credit for them getting to the NLCS that team was not a, a, a an NLCS contender based on the talent that was on the roster I, I totally agree with you I think it was the worst thing to happen for the Cardinals when they got to that NLCS and I agree some fans said well that team didn't belong in the NLCS it was kind of a fluke but I, I think a lot of some fans too looked at it and said if that team can get to an NLCS, why can't we make a move that can get them to a World Series in 2020? Now, that's an unrealistic expectation. And again, you had all those questions with the outfield, and they didn't get answered in 2020. And then you had to circle back, and they're being answered this year in 2021. But with, with the fan base that wants to win all the time, I mean, we break down everything. I mean, we're talking about offensive struggles. Every team goes through this. Every team goes through pitching struggles, and I get it. It comes at a bad time, and it looks like things are uh, doom and gloom. Even when you look outside, it looks doom and gloom. They do. I, I want to carry this over a little bit. We can talk about this, and we're also going to talk about the Cardinals being all in on this coaching staff because 
You're right. Every team goes through a situation like this. I don't think that this is every team, though. The Cardinals are different, and we'll talk about why that is coming up on the other side on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. about the expectations of being the Cardinals and why that is both a positive and how it can be spun into a negative if you are on the Cardinals. And so Mike Schilt yesterday or over the weekend, Tanner, if we can grab this quote again, gave his thoughts about uh, what it's like to be in charge of the Cardinals and basically the expectations that are set for this team. Here's what he had to say. This was Friday night after the Cardinals tough loss with the bad start from Carlos Martinez. I don't feel I got credit for last year because I feel like I'm always having to defend this group. Okay? And I will. And I won't defend anything blindly because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pretty transparent guy and I'm a truth teller. This group last year went through the most amazing obstacles you may ever see in sports and came it through with flying colors and made the playoffs and it was a whole hum like yeah okay that's the same group that's in this clubhouse now i think they deserve credit for what they did a year ago completely agree with mike schilt that was an amazing accomplishment given how many double headers they had to play given the quarantine that they went through 2020 was a weird season for everybody nobody had a more difficult 2020 season in baseball than the Cardinals. So they deserve credit for that. I totally agree. However, one of the benefits of playing and managing and being a GM and being an owner of the Cardinals is that you get 40,000 fans out there in the stands every single night. That is what allows them to have the business model that the Cardinals have. That is why the Cardinals are a national brand. It's why KMOX became what it was. It's why all of these things that we know to be true about the Cardinals are what they are. It also means you get criticism in a way that no other team in baseball gets. Tanner, we are talking Cardinals baseball here, whether it be January or July or November. Every day of the week, we are talking Cardinals baseball. And there's a reason for that, because we've done studies. We're not just doing this willy-nilly. There are no, studies that have been done. I thought we just did this randomly. The number one thing that you, the listeners, want to hear is about the Cardinals. They are the number one topic, number two topic, number three topic, and number four topic, and then you get to other stuff here in St. Louis. There is no other city in the country where that is the case. None. In Boston, they can talk Red Sox all summer long, but when the Patriots start playing, you better believe they are talking Patriots football. In New York, they can talk Yankees all summer long, but once you get into Giants and Jets season, you're talking Giants and Jets, and the Knicks come along, you're talking Knicks. There's a reprieve. There's a little bit of a dead period for the Yankees. There is no other market in the country that exists in the way that St. Louis does where the number one topic in town sports-wise is the St. Louis Cardinals. So that brings with it more criticism. That brings with it the 40,000 fans in the stands every night. That's what it is for the Cardinals. That's why when Mike Schilt is saying that he doesn't think that this team gets enough credit, that's where it's coming from. That's what the background is on that. And so do I feel for him? Sure, but he knew what he was signing up for whenever he took this job. Yeah, I mean, mean, you take this job and you know that it's win or there's criticism every day. Every day. You go on, again, I I said it before we head to the break. To me, this is a rut. Every team goes through a rut. And in other markets, it's 
it's just a rut. It might be covered. You may talk about it a little bit, but it just kind of goes under the rug as if, ah, okay, this this happens every year. We're just going to forget about it. Here in St. Louis, this rut, as we have seen looking at the text line, hearing mic drops, looking at social media, this rut almost feels like the end of the world. The The end of the world is coming. The Cardinals can't hit anymore. And it's been a, what, two-week period? Or since since the beginning of this month, I'll say. The offense just has not been good. Uh, the pressure that comes with this market is the win now or otherwise it's a disappointment getting into even getting into the playoffs some years is viewed as a disappointment we've seen plenty of times of i'm tired of hearing this let's just get in and then we'll go from there cardinals fans want to be the best in in baseball every year and it's become harder to do that especially with the way the dodgers and padres are going to spend money so it's become harder for Cardinals to go do that and have that model. The now. Cardinals traded for Paul Goldschmidt, and the immediate response was, "Okay, what next?" Exactly. You know, like the the Cardinals traded this offseason for Nolan Arenado, same with Arenado, and it was like, "Okay, who's the pitcher that you're going to go get now?" And by the way, that was fair. I, I do think that, like, should you appreciate the fact that the team went out and made those big time acquisitions? Absolutely, and we did. We celebrated them. We talked to I think every person that's ever come in contact with Nolan Arenado. We talked with them because it was a huge trade for the Cardinals and also the expectations are set at a at a level here in St. Louis that it wasn't just enough you can't just make that move and then feel like okay we're good here we've we'll wash our hands of this thing we can move forward Cardinals fans are smarter than that they can look at this bench and see okay look Lane Thomas he had a really nice finish to the season in 2019 before he got hurt it's not enough. You, you've you got to have more than just a Lane Thomas or a Justin Williams or whatever it is at the back end of this bench. Cardinals fans are smart. They know, they know what they're watching on a night in night out basis. And we've gotten the text too before. And you mentioned it after the Arnado trade, you know, I was one that said, go, I was super swiping on every guy on the starting pitching market, but we got in the text too of this team can't compete with the Dodgers. We, the Cardinals are never going to be able to build like the Dodgers, but that is the fan base's expectation. Somehow you have to be able to climb that mountain and get ahead of the Dodgers. Now, the spending is unreasonable, but there is there is the fan base that says somehow we've got to figure out a way to do it, and we've got to figure a way to do it out sooner rather than later because they, the fan base, and I'm with them, view it as getting into the playoffs sometimes, sometimes, not always, sometimes, just isn't good enough. Getting in and hoping for the best is not always the best model. And that's yeah. something that the Cardinals have pushed of of recent years. But most of it, like the, the Cardinals spend beyond their market in general anyways. My my problem has never been the Cardinals spending the dollar figure. It's the way that they are spending. I mean, they're spending typically in an, any given season right around the 10th to 12th most in baseball. If you look at the market size, they should be below that. But because of the Cardinals fans that come out there every night and kind of gets back to that, that's why they're able to do something like that. So when I heard that comment from Mike Schilt on Friday night, I was like, I get where he's coming from. I really do, because in markets like Milwaukee or San Diego or places like this that have not had the success that St. Louis has had and are not baseball heaven, so to speak, what he's saying is totally true. They would hear... Hey, look at what we did in 2020 by making the playoffs and look at the fact that we got to the NLCS in 2019 and look at the way that we finished in 2018 when I became the manager and those fans would celebrate those things. St. Louis is just different. That's part of what makes it special to be the manager here. And it's also part of what makes it difficult to be the manager here. And I think that we I wanted to spend a little time on that today because I think right now it's the single biggest disconnect that exists between the Cardinals internally and Cardinals fans outside of the organization is how we should view the last two years of Cardinals baseball. I think Cardinals fans view it as a little bit of a frustration and disappointment 
And I think internally, the Cardinals view it as we kind of met or exceeded in some ways expectations given the circumstances that existed within the team. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll be joined by Jamie Rivers in studio. I want to ask him a couple of questions about the Blues, including which player could use a change of scenery trade. We'll do that coming up in 15 minutes. Coming up next, though, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line. Let's play a game of in or out on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. is the air comfort service text line for in or out you give us scenario we will tell you if we are in or out let's start with this one tanner in or out the cardinals will win at least nine of their 13 games against the tigers pirates diamondbacks and rockies nine out of 13 against detroit pittsburgh colorado and arizona so let's see that allows you to lose one of each mm-hmm I'm in on that. I think you can win nine to thirteen against these teams. Hell, if you do, if you do that, you lose one of these against Detroit, one against Pittsburgh. Arizona may never win on the road again. So, to me, you might be able to sweep them. So, I'm in. I think you can win nine to thirteen against these teams. I'm in as well. I know that everything feels doom and gloom right now. I think that's going to change. As much as we included the um, the Atlanta Braves in this stretch of quote-unquote losing teams they're not losing team the Braves are not the same as Miami Detroit Pittsburgh Arizona Colorado yeah you think things are bad watch these teams over this stretch yeah they're not in the same category as those te- as those teams they none of these teams that you're about to go up against have a Ronald Acuna or an Ozzie Albies or a Freddie Freeman like the, the Braves are just a different kind of team they are very similar to the Cardinals in that they just couldn't get things going to start off the year and it seems to me like they're about to start heating up. I can't think of a good burn for Detroit, but Pittsburgh doesn't know how to step on first base. Arizona just can't win on the road. And Colorado gave away one of the best players in baseball for literally nothing. And now I, I was reading about them last night. So they're going into this year's trade deadline without their general manager, without their president of baseball operations. <laughs> they just severed part, severed ways with, I think, one of their lead scouts. So they've got a guy that was involved in their business operation side of things. So this would be like a marketing guy for us being now the programmer, uh, being in charge of who's on the air. Somebody, and oh, by the way, they're going into what could be a legitimately franchise altering trade deadline with Trevor Story potentially being on the move. They probably didn't even tell me he's actually GM now. So like he just gets these random phone calls. John Mose- why is it? Why is John Mosella calling me? I don't understand. Who is the St. Louis number and why are they calling us? And with Arizona, I think I saw this last night from Bob Nightingale. And this is unbelievable. But Arizona has fired more hitting coaches so far this month than they have wins. Think of that. It's not great. Not great, Bob. Wow. 65780 is the air comfort service tech slide for in or out. In or out, Paul DeYoung will be part of an upcoming trade and Edmundo Soso will become our everyday shortstop in St. Louis. Paul DeYoung is involved in a trade and Edmundo Sosa becomes the everyday shortstop. I'm out. I, I just don't see the Cardinals moving on from a team-friendly contract. They, I still think they believe and I still, still have some belief myself that Paul DeYoung can kind of get back to being that 30-homer guy. Really? Paul, yeah, I, I think Paul Deyoung is lost right now. To me, this almost feels like a, and this is a, this isn't a comp to this player. It's almost a Dexter Fowler season where you knew he couldn't be this bad. 
He was just lost at a plate for a season. I, I think he can get back to being a 30 home run guy. I don't think he's ever going to be a 270 hitter, but if he can hit 230, give you 20 to 30 home run power and be a decent seven hole hitter, that that's perfect for Paul DeYoung. I'd like to see the defense a little better because at times this year, to me, he hasn't been the same defensively. And Mundo Sosa has been great defensively, but Mundo Sosa to me is a utility guy in the future. I don't think he could ever be an everyday shortstop. I think what he was in 2018 is what he's going to be moving forward or something relative to that. That season, he had 25 doubles, 19 home runs. He played in 115 games that year. He hit 240. He ended up being a plus player for the Cardinals, but offensively, he was basically league average. I think that's kind of who Paul DeYoung is. I think we've seen that now over the last few years. I don't think he's as bad as he is right now where he's batting 160. That seems unsustainable. I also don't think he's as good as he was in 2019, the year that he hit 30 home runs. So somewhere in between there, I think is probably where he's going to fall. And, and he, I do not think they're going to trade him. And not, even, not at the deadline. At least. Yeah, I agree. If he's to be moved, I think we've talked about it a lot. It's more of a offseason trade. If you look at Paul DeYoung 2019, he was even average then 100 OPS plus. So if he can be that, then to me, that's a perfect, perfect guy to be your shortstop. Now, if he can become a little bit better defensively, we've seen him be good defensively. If he can just pick that up a little bit, then that's yeah, perfect. That's the biggest thing. His deep. I'm less worried about his offense because I don't think what he's doing right now is going to be consistent moving forward. I think he'll be fine. Not great, but fine offensively. His defense is what's really concerned me this year for the majority of the year. Let me ask you this. I This isn't an in or out, but who do you think's more more likely, I think, tomorrow, but more <laughs> likely to be the DH next year for the Cardinals? Paul DeYoung or Nolan Gorman? Because I could easily see you saying Tommy Edmonds but, are really good second baseman. Shortstop, we could play Sosa, and then we can get DeYoung's bat in there as a DH. Assuming the DH oh, is here Oh, I think Nolan year. Gorman is much more likely to, to be your designated hitter. Rather um, than Paul DeYoung? Yeah, I don't think they'll go that route. The he, Cardinals view him as a borderline gold glove shortstop. Now, the metrics they do view not... That, sh- they view that as Sosa, too. They they love Sosa defensively, Yeah, based on my understanding. I think Edmundo Sosa is a utility infielder, and sometimes we do this where we want a guy to be more than he is. It's okay that Edmundo Sosa is just a really nice utility infielder. Guy like Skip Schumacher back in the day. He was a super valuable resource. Um, I mean, any of these guys, Pete Cosma, the Cardinals have had a million of them over the years that are great utility infielders. I don't think that you need to ask him to be more than what he is. And that's okay. He's taking a step back now offensively. If he's a guy that comes in as a late defensive replacement, gives a guy a a day off here and there, that's totally fine. All right, last one here. In or out, the Milwaukee Bucks should be viewed as the clear-cut favorite at this point to win this year's NBA title. The Milwaukee Bucks should be viewed as the clear favorite to win this year's NBA title. By the way, on FanDuel Sportsbook right now, they're basically even money. You bet $100, you win 105 if you bet on the Bucks to win the title. I'm going to say out. I think they're the clear favorites to win the East. I think they can beat the Hawks in five or six. I look at the West. I still really like the Clippers. I know they're without Kawhi, but you've got Paul George, Reggie Jackson. Uh, they're deep. And then you look at the Phoenix Suns. They're deep as well. They need to get Chris Paul back, in my opinion, to win that series. I, I think whoever comes out of the West would be favorites over the Milwaukee Bucks. I agree that they're not the clear-cut favorite. I think right now I totally get why they're the betting favorite. I would take the Suns over them, though. 
I, that that would be the team that for me right now, I, I would take over the Bucks. So I didn't say out on this just because I think that Phoenix with Chris Paul is the best team remaining in the playoffs right now. Yeah, and the reason I say the West team is my favorite because you got two guys that could try and lock down Giannis or Middleton. As That's long your as Kawhi's back. I think Paul George can do it. Paul George is a good defensive player when he when he locks in defensively. <laughs> Which is not all the time. Well, you know, not in Hey, at least he plays defense, James Harden. Okay. With Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we are going to give away tickets to night one and night two of the U.S. Olymp- Olympic gymnastic trials. We'll do that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Coming up next, though, Jamie Rivers is going to hop in studio with us earlier today. Pat Maroon's dad was on the morning show. He had a very interesting quote about why he's actually happy that Pat did not stay in St. Louis. We'll play that for you. Reacts to it on the other side next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Start out in broadcasting. The number one thing they tell you, Tanner, the number one thing they tell you never run to a mic because you're going to sound exhausted. You're going to sound like you just sprinted down a hallway. You're going to sound like you're out of breath and you just ran a marathon. And Jamie Rivers had one job today for this show was be ready to go at one o'clock for our show. And I'll be damned if Jamie Rivers shows up and he's like, hey, he's throwing uh, you under the bus already. I Jamie. don't have headphones. I don't have my my cover for my microphone, but I'll be ready. What are the colors? I'm glad Jamie, I'm just <laughs> glad I'm just, <laughs> who the heck forgets that? Anyways. I'm just glad you're here to join us for the last hour. BK's already thrown you under the bus. But throwing you or me? You. Why? What happened? Because you're sprinting down the studio. Yeah, well, I'm trying to get a little extra in today, okay? <laughs> I respect it. Jamie River's going to be in, in with us for the 1 o'clock hour. He's working overtime here today, and we appreciate him for doing so. Should get hazard pay with this show. Alex Ferrari will be back <laughs> on Wednesday. Oh, I'm involved in the show. <laughs> He's in Branson today. All right, Jamie, I was listening to the morning show earlier today, and they had Pat Maroon's dad, Phil Maroon, on their show. And Phil said something that I found to be really interesting about why he was actually happy that Pat decided to go somewhere other than St. Louis after they won the cup here in 2019. I want to play this for you and we can react to it on the other side. I know why though. I played my hometown too. As soon as uh, he had a long talk with Coach Berube, Coach Berube had a lot of faith in him. Things came around, and you know what happened at the end of the year there. Yeah, it makes me proud that people still think about him. And I think the best thing that happened to him was probably not signing with the Blues because (laughs) they would expect more from him. And by moving on to Tampa and getting that other uh, Stanley Cup, you know, it's just, you know, his popularity is still good here. Yeah, all you remember is the good times, right? It's just... Look, that's part of it for sure. When you play in your own hometown, there's a couple of things that come into the equation. Uh, One, before you get to, you know, hometown hero status or legend forever in St. Louis, you have the obstacle of playing in a city where you grew up with all your neighbors, all the kids you played hockey with, high school friends, you name it. Everybody feels like they have access to you. What's that like? It's tough. It's hard to stay focused. It really is. And on um, uh, several different levels because, you know, you've got the one part where when things are good, hey, everybody wants to have a beer. Drop by Pat's house for a beer or, or Phil's house or your, his brother Phil or yeah. whoever, Justin, all the everybody in the family. 
But then when things are, are tough, too, it's very difficult. And things were tough for Pat Maroon at the start of the season that, that year. Came in with, I don't want to say high expectations, but the expectations were, look, at, you're getting a guy who's played with uh, Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry in Anaheim, McDavid in Edmonton, local guy, big guy, tough player. About as high of expectations as you can have for a bottom six forward. Correct. Correct. And, and he was, it looked like he was like the final piece to it, right? When Doug Armstrong was assembling that team, he was one of the final pieces to to be added. And so it's tough. It's really hard. And then things didn't go the way that, that Pat wanted. Then there was the healthy scratches. And then there was the possibility of waivers and all this other craziness, which never happened. And Craig Berube saved it. You know, somehow, some way, Craig Berube um, put the confidence back into Pat Maroon. Uh, his teammates loved him from day one. So that's always difficult, too, when you're a teammate to somebody who you're like, man, he's just an awesome dude. You see him in practice. He's like, hey, he's so skilled and he's got such great hands and it's just not working. Everybody knows he's in his hometown at the same time. And there's stress involved. So then start, things start to go a little bit better for the big rig, and then obviously we get the storybook ending. Like, how many storybook endings? You get You get three moments for me that will stand out in Pat Maroon's tenure. Well, four. Actually, we'll go four with this one. One is the overtime goal against the Dallas Stars. I mean, how do you even, like, it's incredible. That you can't, you, Disney couldn't write that because people would say it's a little too on the nose. Yeah, it's not. A little too much. Yeah, it's not believable. We can't do that. You have the uh, the moment in the Boston series where, for no reason at all, Pat Maroon skates by the bench and says, "You're bleeped," and that's like folklore now. Like you're like, hey, remember the time when Pat Maroon said this to the Bruins and they were down by a game and they just f- tied it up in the second period. So that to me is the second one. The third one, obviously, winning the cup and, and ha- having him be such a big part of that run. And then the fourth thing is, I'm a hometown hero, <laughs> baby. Come on, who forgets that? Nobody will. Nobody, Nobody ever will. It, and it's one of the most memorable pieces of what was the most memorable run in Blues history. And it's why I think I actually agree with Pat Maroon's dad. I think he's right that the best thing that could have happened for this relationship is for both sides to leave wanting a little bit more. Now, that being said, I can also I can say that while also acknowledging the Blues would have been much better over the last two years with Pat Maroon on the team than off of the team. They would have benefited from a guy like him. Like If they just had him in 2020 going into the bubble and then going into this year instead of Kyle Clifford, for example, who I thought was fine, but I think you, you would have done better with Pat Maroon on the team. If you had him in that spot, I think the Blues are better. There's no question. Do they win cups, though? I don't know. The answer is probably no, especially this year with all of the injuries that you had that you were dealing with. And last year, the team just didn't look up to being back into the bubble. And so there would have been a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth, not because of what Pat Maroon necessarily contributed or didn't contribute to the team, but because the teams finished that season wasn't the same as it was the years prior. And so you're always kind of looking, where do we upgrade? Where do we upgrade? It's possible that after those two year that two year stretch, maybe you're like, okay, you know what? Maybe it is time for a little bit of a change. They've had this uh, cup team together for a while now, and maybe it's time to kind of move forward, move separate ways from Pat Maroon. Maybe it's more of a scoring guy that you need on that fourth line, right? So I think it was for the best. I think Phil Maroon made a really good point on the morning show today, and makes me wonder, Jamie, as we kind of push this forward a little bit, 
Is there anybody else that you think, like, it's not the same as the Pat Maroon experience, but is there anybody else on the Blues roster right now that could benefit from a change of scenery uh, trade where you go into the offseason, it's like, you know, they're just not quite giving you the same contributions that you'd hope for, and maybe if they went elsewhere, it would go better for them, so it would sting a little bit for the Blues, but maybe you're able to get somebody else, too, that could come in, and they benefit from the change of scenery coming into St. Louis as well. Is there anybody that stands out to you there? Yeah, there is, and uh, this is a name that's kind of bounced around in the last week or two, probably longer than that. It's Vladimir Tarasenko. It is. And it's, again, I'm going I'm going to put attached a disclaimer to this that I'm not saying we have to trade uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. I'm not saying Doug Armstrong is better off to move Vladimir Tarasenko. But I'm also saying that doesn't mean he's not better off either. And, and when you're looking at a, an individual who is such a dynamic player, who can create offense, who's, who's scored a lot of goals, who's been a, a, a main part of your power play for the last number of years, it's tough. It it might it might turn and sting, and it might it may not sit well with people after it does sting because we've seen how that works. Randy Rosarena <laughs> and other people who have gone on to success. St. Louis remembers those things, um, but that's why I think if you did make that decision, you'd have to make it in a way to where you have a return for that, to so that you're adding a big piece, whether it's a a top top three forward where it's a left winger, whether it's a another guy who can play center or a big, that number one left-handed shot defenseman that you're trying to add. I think that that's where you'd have to have the swap and it might sting, but it takes the sting out of it a little bit when you've acquired a player in return. And I think there are those guys out there. I think they're the six to $8 million players that are available out there that they too need a change of scenery. And I think Doug Armstrong has got to kick the tires a little bit there and see if Vladimir Tarasenko is something that people would like to kick the tires on as well. And I think it's important to know what you just said, where it's like, hey, this might hurt in the end. He might go back to being a 30-goal scorer for somebody else. But if that happens elsewhere, that does not indicate that it was for sure going to happen here. 100%. You know, and that's one thing that we have to keep in the back of our mind, like Randy Rosarena, for example. I don't know if he ever would have got the playing time in St. Louis that he's getting regularly in Tampa Bay to be able to show what he has shown now at the plate because this organization values defense and they were always going to have better defenders in front of him. So if Mike Schilt's going to continue to play Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader and Dylan Carlson over Randy Rosarena, maybe he never becomes the player that he is here in, in Tampa Bay because he's always looking over his shoulder. And we've heard from Randall Gritchick and Tyler O'Neill in the past and all these different guys. When you're doing that, it can be tough. It's different circumstances for um, Vladimir Tarasenko because he's he's not the up-and-coming guy. No. He's the guy that's already been established. But maybe the system's just not going to be a bit fit for him moving forward. Maybe he's not ever going to be the guy that's playing at the front of the net on the power play. Whatever it is, for whatever reason, it might have just run its course here in St. Louis. Yeah, and that doesn't mean, too, that, look, it, when you move a guy along, it could reinvigorate Vladimir Tarasenko where that maybe wouldn't have happened here. Maybe it stays kind of stale, kind of not you know what you want it to be. You change the scenery, all of a sudden that player plays with a different motivation, and then people go, oh, you should have kept him. Well, maybe it wouldn't have been the same here. Right. So, again, I'm going to go back to saying the the the, the, the thing that's on repeat for me this offseason is I think everybody on the roster, except maybe Ryan O'Reilly, 
is worth exploring possibilities if you can make your team better. It's one fifteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, we will give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to night number one and night number two of the U.S. Olympic Gymnastic Trials. We'll do that on the other side. Plus, we're going to dive into the junk drawer with Jamie Rivers for all time's sake. Coming up on 101 ESPN. I'm a hometown hero, baby! The BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. When you start out in broadcasting, the number one thing they tell you, Tanner, the number one thing they tell you, never run to a mic because you're going to sound exhausted. You're going to sound like you just sprinted down a hallway. You're going to sound like you're out of breath and you just ran a marathon. And Jamie Rivers had one job today for this show. It was be ready to go at one o'clock for our show. And I'll be damned if Jamie Rivers shows up and he's like, hey, he's throwing uh, you under the bus already. I Jamie. don't have headphones. I don't have my my cover for my microphone, but I'll be ready. What are the colors? I'm glad. Jamie, I'm just glad. I'm just, Dude, who the heck forgets that? Anyways, I'm just glad you're here to join us for the last hour. BK's already thrown you under the bus. But throwing you or me? You. Why? What happened? Because you're sprinting down the studio. Yeah, well, I'm trying to get a little extra in today, okay? <laughs> I respect it. Jamie River's going to be in with us for the 1 o'clock hour. He's working overtime here today, and we appreciate him for doing so. Should get hazard pay with this show. Alex Ferrari will be back <laughs> on Wednesday. Whoa, I'm involved in the show. <laughs> He's in Branson today. All right, Jamie, I was listening to the morning show earlier today, and they had Pat Maroon's dad, Phil Maroon, on their show. And Phil said something that I found to be really interesting about why he was actually happy that Pat decided to go somewhere other than St. Louis after they won the cup here in 2019. I want to play this for you and we can react to it on the other side. I know why, though. I played my hometown, too. As soon as uh, he had a long talk with Coach Berube, Coach Berube had a lot of faith in him. Things came around, and you know what happened at the end of the year there. Yeah, it makes me proud that people still think about him. And I think the best thing that happened to him was probably not signing with the Blues because <laughs> they would expect more from him. And by moving on to Tampa and getting that other uh, Stanley Cup, you know, it just, you know, his popularity is still good here. Yeah, all you remember is the good times, right? It's just. Look, that's part of it for sure. When you play in your own hometown, there's a couple of things that come into the equation. Uh, one, before you get to you know hometown hero status or legend forever in St. Louis, you have the obstacle of playing in a city where you grew up with all your neighbors, all the kids you played hockey with, high school friends, you name it. Everybody feels like they have access to you. What's that like? It's tough. It's hard to stay focused. It really is. And on um, uh, several different levels because, you know, you've got the one part where when things are good, hey, everybody wants to have a beer. Drop by Pat's house for a beer or, or Phil's house or your, his brother Phil or yeah. whoever, Justin, all the everybody in the family. But then when things are, are tough, too, it's very difficult. And things were tough for Pat Maroon at the start of the season that, that year came in with, I don't want to say high expectations, but the expectations were, look, you're getting a guy who's played with uh, Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry in Anaheim, McDavid in Edmonton, local guy, big guy, tough player. About as high of expectations as you can have for a bottom six forward. Correct, correct. And, And he was, it looked like he was like the final piece to it, right? When Doug Armstrong was assembling 
that team. He was one of the final pieces to to be added. And so it's tough. It's really hard. And then things didn't go the way that, that Pat wanted. Then there was the healthy scratches. And then there was the possibility of waivers and all this other craziness, which never happened. And Craig Berube saved it. You know, somehow, some way, Craig Berube um, put the confidence back into Pat Maroon. His teammates loved him from day one. So that's always difficult, too, when you're a teammate to somebody who you're like, man, he's just an awesome dude. You see him in practice. He's like, he's so skilled and he's got such great hands and it's just not working. Everybody knows he's in his hometown at the same time. There's stress involved. So then things start to go a little bit better for the big rig. And then obviously we get the storybook ending. Like how many storybook endings you get? You get three moments for me that will stand out in Pat Maroon's tenure. Well, four. Actually, we'll go four with this one. One is the overtime goal against the Dallas Stars. I mean, how do you even, like, it's incredible. That you can't, you, Disney couldn't write that because people would say it's a little too on the nose. Yeah, it's not. A little too much. Yeah, it's not believable. We can't do that. You have the uh, the moment in the Boston series where, for no reason at all, Pat Maroon skates by the bench and says, you're bleeped. And that's like folklore now. Like, you're like, hey, remember the time when Pat Maroon said this to the Bruins and they were down by a game and they just f- tied it up in the second period? So that, to me, is the second one. The third one, obviously, winning the Cup and, and ha- having him be such a big part of that run. And then the fourth thing is, I'm a hometown hero, <laughs> baby! Come on, who forgets that? Nobody will. Nobody, Nobody ever will. It, and it's one of the most memorable pieces of what was the most memorable run in Blues history. And it's why I think I actually agree with Pat Maroon's dad. I think he's right that the best thing that could have happened for this relationship is for both sides to leave wanting a little bit more. Now, that being said, I can also I can say that while also acknowledging the Blues would have been much better over the last two years with Pat Maroon on the team than off of the team. They would have benefited from a guy like him. Like If they just had him in 2020 going into the bubble and then going into this year instead of Kyle Clifford, for example, who I thought was fine, but I think you, you would have done better with Pat Maroon on the team. If you had him in that spot, I think the Blues are better. There's no question. Do they win cups, though? I don't know. The answer is probably no, especially this year with all of the injuries that you had that you were dealing with. And last year, the team just didn't look up to being back into the bubble. And so there would have been a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth, not because of what Pat Maroon necessarily contributed or didn't contribute to the team, but because the team's finish that season wasn't the same as it was the years prior. And so you're always kind of looking, where do we upgrade? Where do we upgrade? As possible that after those two year that two year stretch, maybe you're like, okay, you know what? Maybe it is time for a little bit of a change. They've had this uh, cup team together for a while now, and maybe it's time to kind of move forward, move separate ways from Pat Maroon. Maybe it's more of a scoring guy that you need on that fourth line, right? So I think it was for the best. I think Phil Maroon made a really good point on the morning show today, and makes me wonder, Jamie, as we kind of push this forward a little bit. Is there anybody else that you think like it's not the same as the Pat Maroon experience, but is there anybody else on the Blues roster right now that could benefit from a change of scenery uh, trade where you go into the offseason? It's like, you know, they're just not quite giving you the same contributions that you'd hope for. And maybe if they went elsewhere, it would go better for them. So it would sting a little bit for the Blues. But maybe you're able to get somebody else, too, that could come in and they benefit from the change of scenery coming into St. Louis as well. Is there yeah. anybody that stands out to you there? Yeah, there is. And uh, this is a name that's kind of bounced around in the last 
week or two, probably longer than that, is Vladimir Tarasenko. It is. And it's, again, I'm going I'm going to put attached a disclaimer to this that I'm not saying we have to trade uh, Vladimir Tarasenko. I'm not saying Doug Armstrong is better off to move Vladimir Tarasenko. But I'm also saying that doesn't mean he's not better off either. And, and when you're looking at a, an individual who is such a dynamic player, who can create offense, who's, who's scored a lot of goals, who's been a, a, a main part of your power play for the last number of years, it's tough. It, it might. It might turn and sting. And it might it may, it may not sit well with people after it does sting because we've seen how that works, Randy Rosarena <laughs> and other people who have gone on to success. St. Louis remembers those things. Um, but that's why I think if you did make that decision, you'd have to make it in a way to where you have a return for that to, so that you're adding a big piece, whether it's a, a top top three forward where it's a left winger, whether it's a another guy who can play center or a big, that number one left-handed shot defenseman that you're trying to add. I think that that's where you'd have to have the swap. And it might sting, but it takes the sting out of it a little bit when you've acquired a player in return. And I think there are those guys out there. I think they're the 6 to $8 million players that are available out there that they too need a change of scenery. And I think Doug Armstrong's got to kick the tires a little bit there and see if Vladimir Tarasenko is something that people would like to kick the tires on as well. And I think it's important to know what you just said, where it's like, hey, this might hurt in the end. He might go back to being a 30-goal scorer for somebody else. But if that happens elsewhere, that does not indicate that it was for sure going to happen here. 100%. You know, and that's one thing that we have to keep in the back of our mind, like Randy Rosarena, for example. I don't know if he ever would have got the playing time in St. Louis that he's getting regularly in Tampa Bay to be able to show what he has shown now at the plate because this organization values defense and they were always going to have better defenders in front of him. So if Mike Schilt's going to continue to play Tyler O'Neill and Harrison Bader and Dylan Carlson over Randy Rosarena, maybe he never becomes the player that he is here in, in Tampa Bay because he's always looking over his shoulder. And we've heard from Randall Gritchick and Tyler O'Neill in the past and all these different guys. When you're doing that, it can be tough. It's different circumstances for um, Vladimir Tarasenko because he's he's not the up-and-coming guy. No. He's the guy that's already been established. But maybe the system's just not going to be a bit fit for him moving forward. Maybe he's not ever going to be the guy that's playing at the front of the net on the power play. Whatever it is, for whatever reason, it might have just run its course here in St. Louis. Yeah, and that doesn't mean, too, that, look, it, when you move a guy along, it could reinvigorate Vladimir Tarasenko where that maybe wouldn't have happened here. Maybe it stays kind of stale, kind of not you know what you want it to be. You change the scenery, all of a sudden that player plays with a different motivation, and then people go, oh, you should have kept him. Well, maybe it wouldn't have been the same here. Right. So, again, I'm going to go back to saying the the, the 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 thing that's on repeat for me this offseason is I think everybody on the roster, except maybe Ryan O'Reilly, is worth exploring possibilities if you can make your team better. It's one fifteen. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, we will give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to night number one and night number two of the U.S. Olympic Gymnastic Trials. We'll do that on the other side. Plus, we're going to dive into the junk drawer with Jamie Rivers for all time's sake. Coming up on 101 ESPN. I'm a hometown hero, baby! The BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
for your chance to win a free pair of tickets to night number one and night number two of the U.S. Olympic gymnastic trials coming to the Dome at America Center for four nights, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The best athletes in the country for both men's and women's gymnastics will compete for a spot on Team USA for the Tokyo Olympics. These tickets are, cur- tickets rather, are courtesy of Olympia Gymnastics. Building happy, healthy, confident boys and girls at Olympia Gymnastics. Here's what you got to do. To be able to win these tickets, you have to be texter number six at 65780. That's the Air Comfort Service text line. And you have to tell us who Brad Ausmus said he sat for three days when he was the manager of the Detroit Tigers to get him back on track offensively. If you can name who that player was and your texter number six at 65780, you will be the winner of a free pair of tickets to night number one and night number two of the Olympic gymnastics trials. All right, time to dive into the junk drawer with Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Jamie, I got to tell you about my weekend because as much crap as I get from you, from Tanner, from Alex Ferrario, from everybody on this station about not knowing how to do anything. Yep. I installed a new sink this weekend. Oh, wow. So you're a plumber. Basically. Okay, and now I, I totally understand why it is so damn expensive to get anything fixed by a plumber. Did My you wear God. your pants that way too on purpose? Nope. Okay, did not I'm do glad, that. Because you did put pictures out there. I'm glad we didn't get that. <laughs> However, sitting under the sink and uh-huh. doing things upside down basically is a nightmare. Absolute disaster. So we did that. We put in a new refrigerator, which was wonderful until we had to take the old refrigerator down the stairs. And that refrigerator is never coming back up those stairs now. We put in a new couch in our living room, so the old couch went downstairs. Again, that's not leaving the downstairs ever again. I think we're done moving. Okay. I think we're officially done. So, Tanner, I don't know if we have to go back and pull the audio real quick here. Maybe, maybe we don't. I'm not sure. But I believe I heard a we in there. So I heard a we, too. Yeah, and I know you're not French. So, um, so when you say... You're the one that knows French, not so, me. So when we say the word we... Uh, you mean your fiance and yourself, right? So Kara and you did all moving that. stuff and putting in no, the s- putting in the sink and all that. It was just her and you. Mm-mm. Oh wait, there was more. Yeah. So okay, so who else would have been a part of this then? So my dad came into town. Oh, but your dad's uh, like an accountant or something, right? No, he uh, he works on houses. Yeah. What does he do exactly? Maintenance. What kind of maintenance? Plumbing, HVAC. Oh, oh, like he's kind of like a, up drywall. Like a contractor <laughs> slash builder, right? Like, yeah, 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 I guess you could do that. But he just started that, right? Been doing it for like 15, 20 years. That ain't no thing. That's it? Yeah. Oh, so, but but he was just there. He was a part of it. So, no, hang on. The weird part is, BK, as you try to fast forward this, which ain't happening, is Tanner, when you pull up social media for BK. Yeah, let me look up BK's. Okay. Uh, uh, which, by the way, is a huge, BK sports talk. huge success story, him installing all of that uh, in his house this weekend, which is great because. I may have put out a tweet that said, I installed a sink today. I know I'm a stunned But I know you probably had a picture of. All three of you doing it, right? Nope, just me. That's that weird. Yeah, there's just that one, one guy in this photo. Yeah, you me. can confirm this. Yeah, just, there's just one guy. It looks like guy. it's BK. Huh. Okay. Maybe this angle is to see. Maybe this actually isn't BK. Interesting. It, but it looks a lot be. like BK. My I mean, dad's on the other side of that picture. Oh, he was in the original picture. He was my YouTube. You know how most people just like they'll get stuff, they'll get their instructions off of YouTube. Uh-huh. My YouTube is in person. My dad tells me what to do, and then I follow those instructions. 
Okay, but... So it's the same thing, really. No, but I, I you got, look lost in this photo. I have to understand I something. Was he in the original <laughs> really picture? Huh. So you didn't crop him out? Oh, no, no, no. Not out of this one. No. No, this was a separate picture. There's oh. other pictures that he's in. Okay. But this was separate completely. Well, I'm glad kind of, we did all that this weekend. Kind of weird he didn't post the ones that he's in. Huh. Or thank him. Especially yeah. since it was Father's yeah, no Day. no kidding. Like, wow. Hey, Dad, come into town on Father's Day weekend and do everything for me, and I'm going to take the credit. I mean, not that's what you did, but, you know, whatever. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers <laughs> out there that are willing to do what my dad did this weekend, like helping me uh-huh. install a new sink. It's a somebody, privilege. Somebody said, sink, do you mean a faucet? No, I mean a new sink. Yeah, the entire sink, I did see that. Which, yeah. by the way, I like your choice. Well Thanks, done. Thanks, man. We, yeah. we did well for ourselves. Um, the house is finally coming together. Somebody said... Said you're never done moving furniture. That may be true, but I'm not touching that stuff that went downstairs ever again. That's a bit of a tight stairwell. Too. The refrigerator nearly killed me. Did and your I'm dad not make like you over- go first? Yeah. <laughs> the veteran move. I'm not overstating <laughs> things when I say like so. We have we have this tight corner to go down the stairs to our basement. And we attempted to do it the first night. He came in Friday night. So we attempted to take the refrigerator down without having anything really to help us, right? It was oh. just me and him. Just man strength just going down the stairs. Up, right? I yeah. can see where the problem was. <laughs> yeah. So we attempted to do that. Wasn't working. There was no way we were making it around that tight corner. The next day, you know those uh, the forklift um, armband things? Yeah. Yeah. So we got a pair of those. Yeah. I was like, all right, we got this this time. Nope. That was great to get it to the corner. <laughs> And then you try going down the stairs with it, and it's like, oh, see, gravity works in a way where these things are just going to fall down to the stairs and after every it, step. It's heavier, too, when you have it slanted like that, and, and you're below the weight. It's actually heavier. We just slid that bad boy right down. Just <laughs> slid it right on its face. Did it's you the just, only way it was going down. So I, I've done the same thing when I, I moved a fridge on my own. I didn't have anybody that day, and I put a carpet down. Oh, no. A piece Mm-mm. of carpet. Not enough time. I laid the fridge down, and I just slid that sucker down the stairs. It worked. I mean, so the fridge worked, I thought. For a we did the sliding part. <laughs> we did not do the carpet part. Okay. And you've seen our house. It's all wood stairs. So the front of our refrigerator right now, thank God, it's a beer fridge, and it's in the storage area. It's not in great shape Did Kara know you did this? She was not at the house at the time. Oh, did she ever find out that that's what you did? She did just now. Uh-huh. No, she doesn't listen. Oh. No, come on. No, my, my bad mistake. She doesn't even like listen to me when we're at home. Yeah, can't blame her. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. BK, maybe if you did something for a living that you were actually good at, then you could hire movers and contractors. I don't know. Wow. That's really like- unkind. I feel like that's not wow, very nice. Jamie, we went to uh, Ballpark Village last week. Yeah, you guys we were did. out there as well. Yeah. People are much nicer in person than they are on the text line. Wait, I mean, the keyboard warriors aren't the same in person? Now, there was one guy that I don't think likes me. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> that guy did. No. He didn't really try to hide it very much. Really? I may be one of those texters, but I like you, BK. Thanks, man. Yeah. Likes a little strong. I don't know about that one. <laughs> you deal with me. You that's... tolerate me. So how did you handle that? I, I'm not very good with confrontation. He stepped behind Alex. <laughs> okay, wait. What? what? Why? Alex is the strong guy of the group. Yeah. <laughs> this is it's making it very you, clear to me now. You've been a part of this show. You know how this works. That's true. I but... take the credit past the blame. <laughs> this is true. The motto this is of the true. show. 
This is true. Jamie, do you have for us anything for us today in the junk drawer, my man? Yeah, so speaking of, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this before, and, and I'm just going to throw it out there, is uh, speaking from where someone does confrontation and you say you don't deal well with it, well, there's, uh, you guys remember the Phoenix Suns fan who absolutely fist-pumped that dude from the Nuggets? Yeah. Okay, so this guy is is a hero now. Apparently, the, the Suns gave him free tickets. His name's Nick McKellar. He joined uh, Dave Portnoy on his Portnoy show on Barstool, and he also got a signed jersey from Devin Booker, this yeah, Booker's a, like sought him out and tried to find where he was. That way he could yeah. get him the free tickets. So you know how you have people in the building, like famous people, uh, when you go to a Blues game or a Cardinals game and they'll put the camera. Like when John Hamm was here in the playoff run or whenever he is here, they put the camera, the in-house feed, and everybody cheers and John Hamm gives a wave or Wayne Gretzky gives a wave. Well, guys, this is Nick McKellar, okay? It's not John Hamm. It's not Wayne Gretzky. The Phoenix Suns put him up on their big screen, jumbotron, video screen, whatever you want to call it. And this dude got a rock star's welcome. Cheering, people running over to do selfies, signing autographs and stuff. And all he did was feed a guy his lunch, which, quite honestly, probably should have got arrested yeah, for Yeah, he it. should have gotten assault charge, not free tickets, but I respect it. So the question, though, on that one, and this is where I want to hear your opinion. The guy... Is it comes out the guy poured beer on him, mm-hmm. and then he did throw the first jab. Then he got absolutely if fist you pour pumped. beer on me, you deserve it. Okay, so you no issue with it at all. No. Okay, because I have no issue with it at all. He turned around. My favorite part was when he paused in the actual beating and did the sons and four, yeah. and then gave a couple of more complimentaries before he let him go. So I'm with you. He deserved it. He asked for it. If you're pouring beer on me. Yeah, that's that's an instigation. That now for me myself, like I'm not going to be the guy that gets in a fight. I'll get Alex and he'll fight for me. You know that's how this works. Um, but in general, yes, that's that's a way to instigate a fight. That's your ride or die. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I would. I'd throw T-bone at him. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. Athlete of the group. T-bone's I like got a this. pit viper. The other thing. Did you see the uh, the fight from yesterday? That ensued? Yeah, massive fight. It was like a brawl. What are we doing here? Are we trying to get these things sponsored now? Because it's nuts. Somebody on the text line said BK would just have Kara punch the guy. Okay. Probably. So knowing what I do of Kara, she probably probably would. Yeah, for sure. Definitely fire off that. Uh, huge congrats to Michael from O'Fallon. He is the winner of the pair of tickets to see night number one and night number two of the U.S. Olympic Gymnastic Trials. Those tickets courtesy of Olympia Gymnastics. Huge thanks to them for put, uh, putting this together. Sounds like he's excited to go to this with his kids. So uh, I know I'm trying to get out there at this weekend as well. We will see if we are able to get any tickets for that with Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Jamie's favorite guy, Carlos Martinez. We'll talk about him, but coming up next, is it better to have established teams and players go deep into the postseason, or do you like seeing new teams, new blood, new fresh ideas into the playoffs? We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario.
Trey Young, we didn't know how his game was going to translate to the postseason, where size generally does become a, a bigger detriment for players because you know defenses can scheme more to take the ball out of his hands on offense, and teams can try to target him more defensively. And we haven't seen either of those two strategies work. He's been incredible throughout these two series for Atlanta. Again, win or lose today, I think he's he's taken a huge step forward both in terms of his game and, and particularly in terms of his perception by answering those questions. That was Kevin Pelton of ESPN over the weekend talking about Trey Young becoming a household name during these NBA playoffs. And of course, the Hawks went on to win game seven yesterday. They are advancing to the Eastern Conference Finals. They beat the 76ers who have a lot of questions to answer. That'll be another show for another day. But Jamie, I wanted to ask you about teams making it deep into the playoffs that are not exactly your Lakers and Knicks like these the, the teams that are remaining in the NBA playoffs, playoffs in particular it's the Bucks Hawks Clippers Suns those are not big draws for your casual NBA fan they don't have the same the LeBrons or Kevin Durant's James Harden's the guys that you see on commercials regularly they're not remaining in the postseason other than basically Giannis. He'd be the closest thing to it that's left in the playoffs. Maybe Chris Paul, but he's not playing right now. Do you think this is good? Like, forget the fact that it's the NBA, whether it be the NBA or the NFL, NHL, these teams that are markets that are being brought into deep playoff runs. None of these teams have won a uh, title within the last 50 years. Do you think it's good for leagues to have something like this, or is it better to continuously have those big name draws? Yeah, so I'm a firm, listen, I'm a firm believer, and it's always more fun to watch unknown teams, right? Not more fun, but it's more intriguing to the story of having teams that aren't always there. But then when I put my business hat on, I'm like, how are how are advertising sales going? Hawks to? versus Bucks and Clippers versus Suns is not exactly a huge draw. No, it's not. And so then my head, as you're talking about that, my brain goes right back to the Raptors winning the championship a couple of years ago. And I think to myself, oh, well, you know, that that probably wasn't really great for the NBA. But then I go flip side of that is you had an entire country watching a team. And I know that obviously being from Canada and following all their people through social media, it was massive. So did you gain a whole bunch of NBA fans? Did you somehow make more money because you had a bigger audience because Canada, maybe not the basketball capital of the world, but they were invested at this point into the Raptors. But that's that's one team and that's a country, right? You look at what's left here now. I can't imagine. I don't think that this is positive for the game. I don't, as far as they're the selling points, the like, I'm not going to watch this. Sure. So if I'm, you know what, isolate that for a second. Casual is a loose term on that one, okay? I mean, I'm a guy that will watch maybe the final couple games, but it's only if I know there's a couple of like, what the big story? LeBron. It can LeBron get versus, to Michael? Like LeBron yeah. versus KD this year. Like that would have been like sure. you know. Okay, I'm in. I'm all in. I'll watch every game. I'm not watching anything this year. I I won't be. I'm. <laughs> so I if, think if that's I'm how, your measuring stick. I think you are actually. I think there's a lot of a lot of casual sports fans. I think would be a better way to put it. Right? Where are they an NBA fan? Maybe not, but. They'll watch occasionally if there's a big name or a big draw or a big storyline that they're following. The one thing that I would say is I think that something the NBA needs to do 
maybe even a better job of is building up these young stars that are in the league right now. And this is the case for Major League Baseball. We talk so much about the young talent in, in MLB, and it's the case in the NHL. And I actually think the NHL has done a pretty decent job of of kind of uh, talking about their young stars. The NBA has done less of a great job with that because they still have Chris Paul and Kevin Durant and James Harden and some of these established guys. So why do we need to move on to the next generation yet? Well, here it is. Devin Booker has arrived. He is excellent. Devin Booker is an unbelievable player that could become a big name in the league five years from now. Giannis is taking that next step in his is in his arrival process of not just being an MVP, but a guy that can contend for titles, plural, Trey Young could become one of the biggest names in the sport. Like we might be watching. He's not Steph Curry, but the closest thing that we're going to get to well, the still next young, though, Steph too, Curry. Right? What, how it's many like years in the league? 22 yeah. years old. So it's his second year in the league. I think it's like a year three for him now because okay. uh, he was in the same draft class as Luca. So when you have these guys that are so young with such a bright future ahead of them and they could be the stars of their team, the stars of the league, five, 10, maybe even 15 years from now. I think that's the way it could be good for the league is now you're building up other stars that can then compete with the Kevin Durant's and the LeBron's as, as we move forward. Yeah, here. But will they compete with them or will they just make a super team? May, yeah. So this is kind of where I'm at with the NBA is every time somebody finally ends up being a star player or somebody that you're like, okay, I'm turning the TV on to watch this. They join forces with somebody else. You're turning the TV on to watch. So what you've done is you put them all in the same bucket. So you're just watching that one team again. It's possible, but you've got to become a star to be able to do that first, right? So even if it is, they're all going to the same team. Like Devin Booker, if he ended up joining forces with, for example, Trey Young in New York three, four, five years from now, that maybe could happen. They, maybe they add in Zion to that, right? Like that that totally well, makes sense to me. Zion's Ten years from parents now, parents be happy about that. <laughs> Absolutely. And so now you've got another team that has been built up because of these stars that made their name in the 2021 NBA playoffs. I think that can be good for the sport. That being said, I don't think you're going to see good ratings. And frankly, I don't care. I don't care what the ratings look like. I know the NBA has to worry about that stuff for sure. But for me, and you know, I'm a LeBron guy. So that's that's my North Star. I'm following that first. But if I have to have LeBron out of the playoffs, this is what I would prefer to see. Give me fresh faces. Give me yeah. new storylines. I want to see what Trey Young looks like in the Eastern Conference Finals. Does this work? This dude's like six foot in a buck 80 soaking wet. Can this actually work the way that he's playing? And it seems like the answer is yes. So it's been fun for me to be able to watch that. And I just like teams like the Clippers and Suns have never won an NBA title. Do you That's think if the Clippers cool. win that that owner, Steve Ballmer, will oh finally God. shut up? No. Or will it It'll just be make, the opposite? What are you, you talking about? You think it goes? It gets worse. So sometimes you know he gets that. Like, It'll be like when uh, Mark Cuban got his yeah, but, title, but he got a little more quiet after that. He's way more subdued That's now. Fair. Like, He's been in the league longer now. It's a good point, but I, still, I don't think Balmer will ever get crazy. quiet. Imagine I'd, going to lunch with that guy. I mean, I'd let him buy me lunch. But. I feel like you would actually enjoy it. I think you'd think it would be miserable, and then eventually you'd be like, I'm in. I'm all the way in. This is great. Hey, I love how many this guy. Have I had? <laughs> yeah, at least two. <laughs> we know how this goes. Um, I did want to ask you as well, Jamie, because I, I know you're a uh, big hockey guy. I've heard a really? little something about that. Former Blue Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers in oh, studio you. with us. What have you made of this Golden Knights Canadian series? Because Petro's your guy, but Montreal's your team. What what have you made of this? Yeah, I love it. Uh, so, look, there's been a lot of criticism about the officiating. And if you watched the game last night, yeah, it was um, 
That was prison rules, pretty much. I mean, guys are punching each other in the face right in front of the referee, and he's giving the whole, I didn't see it, you know, like, which I'm okay with. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm okay with it. But I understand the criticism because they're calling it a certain way. But uh, that being put aside, the series has been great. It's totally lopsided when you look at it on paper. There's no way this should even be a series. But there's a guy named Carey Price that has decided that, no, I'm going to make it a series and a Montreal team that is dedicated to playing defense. They limited Vegas to one high-danger scoring opportunity last night. They had eight. That's amazing. They had uh, 18 to nothing, and then they gave them one, and they scored. Wow. So it's to me, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a game. It's a series that is, is very intriguing. I like it. Uh, the Montreal, either way, whoever comes out of that series, it's a great story. Montreal Canadiens have no business being there. And they're going to ride the coattails of the NHL's most dominant goalie when he's on, which he is. Or you've got the Vegas Golden Knights, who are what in their fourth year of existence, and they've gotten to the Stanley Cup final once before. Now, if they go on again, that's twice, and who knows if they win it or not. But either way, I think the story is worth following. Yeah, and in St. Louis, we're certainly going to be following Alex Petrangelo, who has yeah. been the which, best by the way, can player I, on Vegas. I know we're 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 up against it here a little bit, but. Can I just tell you how much it bothers me to see f- Blues fans go on social media and hate on Petro? Oh, I haven't seen much of that. Is is that out there? It's out there, yeah. And people huh. are like, oh, I don't care, or they're looking to highlight every mistake he makes in a game. Listen, it's like a breakup with like a girl, right? Okay, move on, man, move on. The problem is the breakup happened, and then the girl went on to marry, marry like, like Ben Bill Affleck. Gates. Right? Yeah. Like, this, it didn't yeah, go Affleck. very well. You're you're stuck over here trying to get your Tinder dates, I, and she's out here I marrying Ben Affleck. And, but when the season starts up next year, we can go back to hating. But as it sits right now, I'm like, come on, guys. Like, he's a great player. You don't have to like that he left the team, but he's a great player. And, look, cheer on Ryan Reeves, Alex Petrangelo. Cheer on Patty Maroon because I can't even remember the last time somebody won three in a row. It would have to be the Oilers in the 80s to where they had a team that won four cups in a row, and they're the last to do it. So That'd be pretty cool if you were able to get Tampa Bay versus Vegas in the final and you've got all of those. Who do you cheer for? I I would go Petro. Um, He's got his. I mean, <laughs> Patty. Patty's got his rings. He does. He does. And so does John Cooper, who's got St. Louis ties to play, coaching junior hockey. Or the one that doesn't have a ring is Ryan Reeves. And sure. I think that that would be kind of cool. And I want to see Petro get another one. I, I just think he's deserving. I'll let um, you take the heat for that. Go, Petro. I... <laughs> He's been unbelievable. He leads the damn team in time on ice and shots on goal. He has 66 shots on goal this postseason. The next closest on their team is 50. I mean, it's ridiculous what he's doing. He's playing 25 minutes a game in the playoffs. It's absurd. He's really good. At he's least a he's number not one defenseman. against anybody good, right? Bingo. With former Blue superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll cross things over next. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Superstar defenseman Jamie Rivers and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex will be back on Wednesday. We've got Mark Saxon, the big Saxy in the house, tomorrow with us from 11 oh, to 2. Baby. 
on 101 ESPN. If you missed anything from today's show, check it out on the podcast page. It's all presented by I Promise. We had Katie Wu in the first Woo! hour. We were joined by Brad Osmus, the former Tigers manager at 1130. So a lot of good stuff on today's show. Jamie, what's coming up today on the fast lane, my man? Well, I can tell you this. We are going to discuss the St. Louis Cardinals and, and and the roller coaster ride that we're on right now. And is Mike Schilt on the hot seat? Should he be on the hot seat? Should he not be on the hot seat? Maybe somebody else should be. All we're going to talk about all that because I think it's time that we we aired it out. And to me, there's a lot of similarities between. Some of the stuff Craig Berube had to go through and some of the stuff Mike Schilt is currently going through. When the team, you don't have any other options, but you're stuck with the same team, how do you handle it? It's an interesting talk about that. It's an interesting spot that Mike Schilt finds himself in because I do think he's a perfectly adequate manager. I think the stuff that he's good at, and this is tough to quantify, is the stuff that we don't see. Like, I don't know that Mike Schilt is an unbelievable tactical manager. I don't know if he's running circles around the rest of the league the way that TLR once did, right? But I think he's pretty damn good at managing personalities and keeping guys up inside of the clubhouse. At least that's what it seems to be based on everything that we hear from that clubhouse. And a lot of fan- fans can't see that. It's it's behind closed doors, so it's hard to put a number on to that. Yeah, and Shilty know? won't let you behind those doors very easily, right? Because he keeps it all Nor should he. in the Zoom press conferences. He's He just keeps it kind of generic, and that way like, he doesn't sewer his players. So that's where I see a lot of the similarities uh, between Craig Berube and Mike Schilt when things are tough. For the most part, Craig Berube has always been very, hey, my guys are good players, it's a tough time. He had a couple of moments this year where we saw him kind of lash out a little bit. So we'll see how that trends for Mike Schilt. I think the difference between the two, and I think this kind of plays to the sports that their coach is in, right, is we know what Burby's history is. We know his toughness. We know his tenacity. And we've seen it in press conferences as well, and certainly on the bench at times. Um, Mike Schilt, we've seen the video. We we know what that looks like behind the scenes, <laughs> and it ended up with Randy Rosarena not yeah, being a cardinal go, anymore. Um, you made so us lose you because of that. We know that's in there, but Cardinals fans don't really see that very often. He's more of the reserved mm-hmm. guy with the glasses that looks like somebody that could live down the street from you, right? So it's a little different from that perspective. But I think they both play towards what their sport is. Baseball's different than hockey. Hockey, you've got dudes that are literally paid to go out there and beat somebody's behind baseball it's a 162 game grind where the goal is basically to not fail seven out of ten times which is tough because like mike schilt alluded to in in some of his pressers lately what do you want him to do go and kick the table over okay you're gonna do that 160 times yeah like eventually it loses its its veracity and in this day and age too the moment you do that you might lose the group because guys operate differently and so you know, it's tough. We're all sitting here. We, we you know, we want as a fan base. We want our pound of flesh. And it doesn't necessarily work that way. I'm looking forward to that. One thing I'm not looking forward to is Logan Paul fighting Mike Tyson. Logan that Paul That is not happening. Logan Paul apparently wants Oh yeah, he put it out there. Of course Mike he does. Tyson. He wants another big payday. I feel like this is going to happen. This might end up with Logan Paul with a broken neck cuz Tyson's going to hit him so hard he's going to break his neck. Do you think he would actually fight in this one? Tyson? Yeah, because yeah. the last fight was kind of a, you don't fight, you don't hit me in the face, I don't hit you in the face, we're going to... He had a couple where he, he, he rocked Roy yeah. Jones early, and then you could tell he backed off the throttle a little bit. 
That's Roy Jones Jr. That's a legend in the sport. This is not a legend in the sport. Mike Tyson couldn't care less. He'd go right back up to the rooftop and pet his pigeons after just spreading your carcass all over the ring. Would you watch it? Yes. Really? Yeah, because I want blood. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie Rivers is going to get some blood coming up from 2 to 6. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 on 101 ESPN. No one with us ever. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Peloton's best offer of the season is here. Get up to $300 off accessories when you purchase a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. Choose from a variety of accessories, like our cycling shoes, a heart rate monitor, non-slip grip dumbbells, and more. If you've been looking for a sign to join Peloton, this offer gives you everything you need to get going. This limited-time offer ends November 28th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer starts November 14th and ends November 28th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.